Hello and welcome to episode 290 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, and we do have plenty to get into this week. We did initially have something different on the agenda. Didn't feel in the perfect position to prepare as I'd have liked yesterday, so we've had to delay the topic. Uh, I'm mainly saying that for Alex's benefit if he listens and thinks uh, I was trying to shift him out to the wings. But we made a last-minute call, and we're just going to go through whatever is in the news this week, be it football, boxing, basketball, UFC, just whatever uh, comes to mind. What I do have is the return of I Can't Believe That Was On TV. Now, I don't know if you saw a Twitter thread that may have prompted this. Did you see anything about TV series that were cancelled before airing an episode? Uh, no, I don't think I have seen it. Okay, excellent then. So I've got a collection of TV shows here, some that were cancelled before airing an episode. They started filming it and then realised, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> and put it to one side. And one which was cancelled after one episode. I if like that not... they needed that. That's great. Well, yeah, because when I tell you now, um, that the one that was cancelled after one episode, it was a uh, comedy that was going to air on British satellite channel Galaxy that spoofed American sitcoms of the 1950s and 60s. Now, the oh. direction they went oh. with this, it was called Hail Honey, I'm Home. And it featured caricatures of Adolf Hitler... <laughs> and Eva Braun, who lived in matrimonial bliss until they become neighbours to a Jewish couple. <laughs> I don't know why they needed to start filming that to realise this probably isn't a good idea. Like, they had to air an episode for other people to say, this isn't on. <laughs> what an so, incredible alternative timeline that is. Though. Yeah, very worrying. Um, how do you feel? Like I don't... Is it worse to audition for the part of Hitler? Because at that point, surely you're disappointed if you don't get the role and you're happy to be cast as Hitler. Or is it worse to be approached by like a casting director? And be like, you know the role we think you'd be perfect for? <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> this is going to make you a star. Well, I mean, like I mentioned now, this week on Movie Madness, we do an American History X and Pulp Fiction. And I said to Keenan when we did Black Klansman, I think, if there should be like a cutoff point for what, particularly when you're like a lower level actor, how many racists you can play? Like if there should be a charter, because <laughs> once you've played like a racist three times, that's got to be, Oh, I've probably hit my limit here. I, I don't want to be typecast as you just get the call up when they're doing some racist skinhead type film. You think that people don't like getting typecast when it's a good character, when it's, Oh, well, I don't just want to be the handsome lead who isn't that funny or whatever. <laughs> no, I don't want to be the, the thuggish Nazi, actually, either. Well, yeah, Brad Pitt supposedly went into Fight Club not wanting to be typecast as a sex symbol and then took yeah. his shirt off for half the film. Yeah, that is just, come on, Brad. <laughs> play, play what your hand, play the hand you've got here, Brad, come on. All right, well, uh, a host of uh, TV series that were cancelled before airing an episode, one from August 2014 named Good Grief, Lifetime had announced plans to debut the reality television series, which should have followed the owners of the Johnson Family Mortuary Funeral Home in Fort Worth, Texas, and they actually began airing promotions for the series. They decided to cancel the series in July of the following year after several scheduling and filming issues. Now, the programme ultimately was cancelled completely 
when on July 15th there was a discovery of eight unattended and or decomposing bodies at the funeral home. Ah. Which yeah, led that... to the arrests of the owner and his wife. Yeah, that'll do it. I was thinking, where's this going to go wrong? And I thought, well, look, it's, <laughs> it's a bit weird, but shows like that can take off. It's all becoming a little clearer now. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Um, and you can see the direction we're going in here. So from 10 years prior, seriously, dude, I'm gay. <laughs> a two-hour reality television special was planned to broadcast by Fox. It was going to air on June the 7th, 2004. It was abruptly shelved only 11 days before its intended broadcasts. The special depicted two straight men in competition for a $50,000 award over who could pass themselves off as the more convincing gay man. <laughs> in addition to competing in daily challenges, the two contestants were required to move into separate lofts with gay roommates, come out to their best friends, and socialise at gay nightclubs. My words. Just, just trivialise the whole thing then. If you put that on ITV2 at 9 o'clock, there will be an audience for that. I mean... It, it's if, horrendous. If this is the argument, there's going to be an audience for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, yeah, we've got one that was two years ago that I'm about to get onto, but yeah, this feels more like... I think who can become... may, may have had a, a yeah. bit more of a niche audience, but... This is essentially who can become more of a stereotype at that point. Yeah, there's going to be some bad uh, bad things getting said and done here, aren't there, in a pursuit of trying to look extra gay. Particularly the scene in which they have to come out to their best friends. Yeah, it's probably quite a, serious, quite a serious moment, and we're just there having a bit of a laugh at it. But like This was 2004, and I mean, times have changed, but the fact that it says they were required to move into separate lofts with gay roommates, what do they think was going to happen? Like it was going to rub off on them, like they were going to catch it. What the hell? What was that supposed to prove? I don't understand. <laughs> Couldn't live independently. Had to, had to move in this one. Incredible. You may remember this one. Channel 4, uh, The Surgery, 2019-2020. A reality series which was to be presented by Caroline Flack in which a jury of 12 members of the public must decide if an ordinary person should get cosmetic surgery. Yeah, I, I do remember the And it was ultimately cancelled because she died. That's incredible. Uh, 2005, Welcome to the Neighbourhood, an ABC reality show that was cancelled before airing as its subject matter risked fostering prejudice and violating the Fair Housing Act. Uh, the series had a conservative white neighbourhood choosing their new neighbours from a group of families that were black, Hispanic and Asian, two gay white men raising an adopted black child, a couple covered in tattoos and piercings, and a couple who met at the wife's initiation as a witch and a poor <laughs> white family. Oh, God. I mean, quite literally just setting up this group to be racist, sexist, homophobic, whichever one you want. Go and to be do fair, it they camera. did that on, what was it, Channel 4? And the woman came out talking about like what the house smelled like. And I didn't expect it to smell like this. And then she catches herself being racist. These aren't that long ago. You know, you see things now. And even when it's kind of like civil rights related and people point out like this happened during my parents' lifetime. This isn't as long ago as people would have you believe. 
Yeah. When you look back at some of these, and it's like 2000, well, 2019, 20, and we're having a panel decide whether someone needs cosmetic surgery. I mean, that is staggering. That is quite incredible. That's it yeah. Who Who's it a worse look on? The person who comes up with the idea or the room full of people that actually sign it off? Yeah. Yeah, because you can... You can put it down to the one person's that, well, he's obviously got some issues. Yeah. And a, a group of people agreeing on it. I'd like to know how many of these were come up with by the same person. Like if there's a recurring person coming up with these. Oh, it's another bad one by Jeremy. <laughs> on to the next one. <laughs> like, You're going to love this one, guys. I like the idea that he goes in like a, a police officer who's like a bit on the side of, well, look, my methods are unorthodox, but I get results. You're all being bored. You've got to come up with some ideas. I much prefer it being presented like the Prestige Worldwide presentation in Step Brothers. <laughs> but there you go. Um, some I of mean, those. Do you reckon obviously. in a few years' time, though, we're all going to look back at like Love Island and feel like, that was a fucking crazy idea. I you think now... got people on, a, on an island and got them to try and get with each other. Is that I've not, not a bit weird? I've not watched that too hot to handle, but that sounds like one-up from love island yeah that's true that is a bit weird and i've not watched that one where they previewed it after um love is blind the one yeah, where it's like people that, i think no sean watched it. it which maybe said okay. more about him to be honest yeah i don't know if the people were getting excited about it and obviously just gave up love there was blind, one i saw gone. where there was a rapper who had 11 children by 11 different mothers and they just set up a reality show and it only got shelved because he died. Oh, God. And they were just going to have him clashing with the various mothers and negotiating child support and all these other horrendous things. I mean, in fairness, he obviously needed the money at this stage. You can't blame him. He's obviously got to pay for this somehow. But from those horrendous deals to potentially another... Just under a week ago today, Liverpool completed the signing of Darwin Nunes from Benfica, subject to the successful granting of a work permit and international clearance. The deal is believed to be for a fee that can amount to around £85 million. What are your first thoughts now you've had a week to kind of digest the news? Uh, a little nervous. I can't lie, a little bit nervous. Um, it's a lot of money. The only way it's slightly less money is if he does really bad. The none of those adults come in. Other than <laughs> that, is uh, yeah, it's it's quite really high. I think he obviously the compilations and stuff look, stuff look good. I wasn't entirely sold on him before we were linked or during the games that he played against. As much as he did look handy, um, but it's pretty amazing how quickly you can just get excited. And, <laughs> I, know I can just start telling myself now it's all going to be great. Yeah, because we were linked with him, I think, at the time when you were playing Benfica. And you were on the same night as City Real Madrid, is that right? Or uh, Chelsea Madrid. It was one of those ties. There was a good clash on at the same it was time. Chelsea Madrid, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember saying to you after, like, how did he look? I saw he scored. And in fairness, then you were like, uh, well, I can see why you would buy him. <laughs> but he still does look very raw etc um there's a piece on the athletic and they say at, at the start of the summer after what was a couple of games for you away from being a historic season not to go back over that they say that 
the Chiefs at Liverpool essentially called in the whole scouting department and told them, look, you, you've done a good job so far, but just because we're doing well on the pitch, don't think you can rest on your laurels. We need you to do even better now because look at what we're competing with. And a couple of weeks later, you've got Darwin Nunes over the line. It Now, I don't think the news would come out if that was the case. It doesn't seem like it was one that's done as fast as we deem it to be, where all the noise was around, this guy's going to United, they're waiting it out, see what kind of price we're talking, and then out of nowhere, it was, all right, well, Liverpool have just decided, well, maybe we could get this guy. Hmm. There's obviously more of a plan in place than that. So since 2015, Klopp has taken charge of 348 games at Liverpool, competitively. In that time, he's played 4-3-3 300 times, 4-2-3-1 35 times and 4-4-2 13 times. Mm. People within Liverpool are giving the kind of messages out there. I say that like it's my sources. Uh, I don't <laughs> have the inside track to Liverpool. <laughs> but it's believed that Klopp may turn to the 4-2-3-1 more next season. They say it's interesting when you look at all of the transfer noise coming out of Liverpool. Notice that any move for Bobby Firmino seems a million miles away. And that's someone who I said for about the last six months, definitely going to be off in the summer. Yeah. yeah I did yeah. bank on Salah signing a new deal before then, to be fair. So they think if Klopp was to put his team for the opening day of the season on paper now, or if you were playing a cup final first game of the season, who would he have? I think you're going to have Dolby Nunes leading the line and Bobby Firmino is going to get a chance to reinvent himself at Liverpool again and give him that kind of number 10 position in which he's almost kind of been playing when he's been a false nine anyway. They think that the way he draws defenders into him is going to help free up space for Nunes and I guess take some of the early pressure off a guy who the expectation is going to be on probably as much as Haaland because he's almost got to do more than Haaland. We know the fees aren't exactly matching in terms of, okay, this guy you paid this price for on paper, it's the exact same. Hmm. But City have more weapons than you, so Darwin arguably has to do more to be seen as a success in the same way that uh, Mane is. Yeah, that's been sort of built into a comparison now, hasn't it? The the Darwin Nunes and and Haaland one. People have kind of been treating that as like a kind of Liverpool motivated thing. I was like, well, I think that's probably going to be to our detriment rather than a good thing. So I don't, I don't quite buy that. Um, you, you're right about the Firmino thing. That'd be interesting to see if he can do it. The interesting thing being, I think that's kind of how he was viewed when he was initially brought into the club. Yeah. Obviously gets, basically becomes sort of the false nine, the example people use of the false nine. Um, so he's kind of going to have to revert a little bit in that sense. But, even though, if you look at the start of last season, we were playing uh, Harvey Elliott. He was obviously starting yeah. him a lot prior to that injury. And so I think it was technically in a midfield three, but he's playing ahead of the other two. So you might see him dropping in there as well. In place for me, it would be interesting to see what he does do. It is a bit different now as well, isn't it? Where something that I can't remember, you can correct me, I can't remember ever referring to even 10 years ago, talking about having different formations on the ball and off the ball. We kind of just said you're playing a 4-3-3 and anything that happened off the ball was just seen as part of that. We do see more now where you're being referred to having a certain shape on the ball and off the ball. They do also say that the hopes that you have for this Carvalho that you've brought in 
that's the kind of position in which you think that he could flourish the most. And so just having Firmino around playing in a similar position is probably the best teacher that he's going to have there if you are going to get the best out of him. That is true. I did also gather that from what when we were initially talking about signing Carvalho, they said obviously to expect that sort of player rather than maybe just like an out-and-out goal scorer. Well, you're probably looking at the numbers and thinking we should be signing Mitrovic instead of him if you were going to yeah. go on that. But um, yeah, so it is going to be interesting to see if Klopp does change it up a little bit though. If he does go with that or if it's... Well, yeah, when you look at those just... numbers, Sorry? I'd imagine the the times you've played a 4-2-3-1 a 4-4-2 have largely been in games when you're rotating and it's just making the pieces fit more than him tactically changing I think a couple of the games towards the end of the season you went to a 4-2-3-1 because you were just conceding more goals than needed and it was more about the result than anything else like it wasn't to do with how you were playing it was just getting over the line I don't think Klopp wanted previously to go for the 4-2-3-1 so maybe this is the evolution that we've been talking about previously potentially but then he has tweaked things by choice prior on that sometimes to get Salah more in a game sometimes he's played him as the lead guy and gone the, for the four-two-three-one. he played him on there and someone else on the right um, yeah. and I think we potentially might have headed we didn't probably get enough of a sample size but we probably would have headed this direction had we kept Coutinho all those years back okay yeah so I think yeah, I remember obviously that, that front three was a, a four at one point and kind of quite easily calling it the Fab Four Liverpool, which yeah. is a little bit too easy for the media, I guess. And Klopp was sort of openly saying in the thing of Coutinho was the 10 behind those three. It was kind of a bit of a dream. So I wonder if that was ultimately how he saw it anyway. So it maybe isn't quite as uh, outlandish as we maybe first think when we see Klopp. We're going to talk about United in just a little moment, but I do think, and I don't know how much easier it makes you feel, the chances of Nunes being a flop feel dramatically smaller at Liverpool than they do if he was going to United. I feel that you do have the pieces in place to really help share the load. It does help that he's going to have Mo Salah next to him. It's not like he's going in and it's like the entire responsibility of this is on your shoulders. And I actually think the person that's benefiting the most from this move is uh, Julian Alvarez, who... Anytime you look at him, if you look at his highlight reel compared to Nunez's, they both look like fantastic players. You wouldn't say one of them is a 17 million player and one's an 85 million pound player. And I think there's going to be this kind of narrative around Alvarez when he comes in, if he gets a few goals early, that look at this guy, he's overperforming expectations. Look how good he is. All these other guys cost so much more money. And so mm. he's probably going to have even less pressure on him going in because it's just being made almost a, a straight thing. Nunes and Haaland. Yeah, it's, it's fucking mental that he's kind of basically stuck in under the radar in a way. <laughs> Isn't it insane? Um, I think, well, he's... The pressure on him has been alleviated by the Haaland signing, hasn't it, really? Yeah. I know what you mean. The Nunes one obviously does help as well. Another one in the league. But in terms of directly in your squad, the pressure is all on Haaland. You can do kind of what you want within reason. You think it feels different as well in that for Nunes, it feels like you're coming in and you have to match what Mane did. We're calling this basically, Mane's gone out, Darwin's come in. Yeah. Whereas at City, whether it's to Arsenal or not, it's widely assumed that Gabriel Jesus is going to leave. And he was really the only striker they had and they didn't even play him as a striker. 
So it's not like we're comparing at City. So you're coming in to fill the boots of somebody else. Yeah, it's, the thing with City is as well, isn't it? I think there feels if one player doesn't do it, they can get him out, rotate the next guy, and he will do it. It's why it's so hard for the player of the year stuff at the end of the year. Yeah, exactly that. Because there's just so many good parts of that team. It's hard to pin it to an individual in that in that team. Whereas, with obviously, you said with the, the Mane thing, over these last few years, it's the whole thing has been, look, if you take Salah or Mane out of here for long, who's going to step in and, and sort it? Yeah. And so at that point, if we carry on the same logic, then Nunes does have to yeah. hit the ground running to no a certain pressure. extent. Because if he if he doesn't, as much as I, I like someone like Jota, we've seen in the second half of this last season just gone. I don't know that you necessarily want to rely on him, which sounds a weird thing to say considering the number of goals he did get. Yeah, but you, you do have those question marks there. I think we have always said, to be fair, that the level of doggedness that Nunes has is going to get you to a certain level in the Premier League anyway. Like. Mm. I can't imagine, and I mean, I won't even touch wood because it doesn't really affect me too, it affect me too much, but I can't imagine him having a bad game to the extent where the defenders feel they've had an easy day's work. I feel like even if he spoons over the, over the bar from two yards out six times in a game, he's still going to have given the centre-backs enough of a horrible time that they aren't going to have enjoyed that 90 minutes. And so it's a bit different in the way that if you were just getting someone to be a poacher in the way that some of these other strikers are that are being linked in the market. I think there's there's so little value in the striker market that you've essentially gone, who do we feel is the biggest certainty of them? Yeah. It's not Liverpool style to go and get Lewandowski. That would have no. been, if you're coming to, we're going to win the league next season, that would have been the move. But yeah that's not really the way you go about it. Like signing Thiago and what was he, 28 and a bit, felt at the time like, oh, it's a bit different to what Liverpool usually do. Yeah, but again, it was a, an opportunist sort of thing. What was he? Yeah. Was he like 25 million or something? So it was kind yeah. of a, well, look, if we get three or four years out of it, jobs are good. Um, two, yeah, two years. you're right. If we were trying to look at it as a, shit, they've signed Haaland, we've got to make a statement. We probably do go for like a Lewandowski, don't yeah. we? If it's just reactionary. So there is, it does seem to be with the current, but the future also in mind of it. I guess the other reassuring thing if you're a Liverpool fan is when they've gone big before, it's been, well, look, we could have gone less and signed someone lesser than Van Dyke, but we said, no, he's our get guy. The guy you want. Yeah. And we're going to go and get him. So I guess that's the sort of the feeling you've got to be. If you're going to try and convince yourself on this one, that's what you've got to go with. Well, time really does fly in football. Two years ago, Brighton were lining up Nunes as the man to replace Glenn Murray. Christ. But he moved to Benfica once they couldn't sign Cavani. And then I think they said at the time they paid what was deemed a high fee for him. And their sporting director said, in two years' time, we'll be selling him for a record fee. So it doesn't really doesn't really bother me too much the price that we've paid today. That's pretty nice when it comes off. Yeah. Um, Liverpool's other transfer business then. So Kelvin Ramsey is expected to be the last purchase for Liverpool this summer. When we spoke just after the Champions League final, I kind of assumed that midfield would really be a priority for Liverpool this window. And I just wondered how surprised you are that seemingly it's not for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, a little bit weird. I'm, I'm slightly less outraged than some people are online, it appears. Some people are ready to riot. Um, 
the situation is, I think, I think potentially they're probably not going to get two big transfers in in the same window. In that sense, I think once we've dropped that much money on Nunes, and the club, rightly or wrongly, will bulk a little bit at it, unless the right opportunity comes along. I think Chichuamani would have potentially yeah. tested that. I think he's kind it's of like um, Vlahovic for us, where it was like there's an opportunity there, but once that fell through, you're not just going to chuck money out for the sake of it. Exactly that, exactly. And I think that's what fans, some fans probably have to get their heads around. Um, and it seems we might end up in the, the Bellingham sweepstakes next summer. Now, that is probably pretty risky in that he's probably going to have another great year. There's going to be more clubs in for him. It's going to be difficult. But I imagine we're looking at those types of players and going, look, if we're going to go for someone, we're going to get it right. We're not just going to go and sign uh, anybody for this summer money just because no. we do we do need a midfield, I think. But just because we need one, it means we're going to do something stupid. And it probably just means you end up with either Ox or Kea or both staying where they probably would have been going at a different time. Even Ox yeah. has been talking about being intensely staying now, you think. Yeah. Klopp wasn't even playing him to get him in the squad at a time where he was rotating everybody. I assumed he already had a, a move engineered, so I found that a bit weird. But that's all we, the talk now. You can see how the uh, kind of aura around Ox has changed in that I saw today he's proposed to his uh, missus. And previously it would be Liverpool star Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain proposes to Little Mix partner. And now it's uh, Little Mix star Perry Edwards <laughs> oh, no. engaged to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Like it doesn't even say Liverpool midfielder. Oh, God. In terms of the Nunes one, if, if there was a worry from you, would you have been more worried if you'd brought in Usman Dembele on the same length of contract. Yeah, yeah, that that injury record would just be too much for me, I think. And I, I really like him as a player. I, I think he's probably been a little bit underrated over here because of yeah. he, they overspent for him anyway. is a lot of money for Barca. And obviously then the injury record has been hideous. But if it is just on pure ability, he's great. And probably a, an easier fit for us to throw in if he was playing. But Nunes feels like uh, there's more common sense to that transfer than... Yeah, he's on less than 100 better. grand a week. Yeah, exactly. That figures out. Um, they does go back to, again, this club with the wage structure. It's interesting how yeah. dogged they're going to be on that, if that's what they're trying to do. Um, but yeah, I, the Nunes one could... I said it about... And I don't think it's going to go as successfully as this one because this was a freakish one. But when we did the Van Dyke pod, it feels crazy to say, but there was a lot of sometimes maybe because we had Charmer on, so he was trying to get some United players <laughs> in there. But there's a lot of talks of well, that's a lot of money, isn't it? And I think I said at the time that look, if it does come out, come off though, we're probably going to feel a bit stupid that we even question this. And I guess with the way transfer fees are going, it might even be the same for Nunes. I don't know if it'd be quite that successful, but it could be one where you go, yeah, that was obviously a no-brainer. They had to do it. In, in terms of a midfielder, and we'll speak about him a, a, a bit more uh, shortly, is Bissouma not usually a deal that Liverpool have kind of made their bread and butter on? A domestic signing that knows the league can come straight in. When you look at really what you built your success on, when you look at the fee involved and what we deem as a need for almost just some more energy in your midfield, yeah. does it surprise you maybe that you have another look at that one? Or for the reasons we'll get into later, do you think that was enough of a put off? I think that would probably scare the club off a little bit. Um, in a situation where you don't, it's not, you don't have to sign him. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably how much was the fee again with him? Uh, 
about 25. They say okay. they're in excess of 25 million. I mean, that's yeah, that that you are right. That probably would be something the club would normally look at. Um, we you were linked with Tielemans for a while as well, and we'll get on to yeah, that. Yeah, if that's going to be for that sort of money, I'd be surprised that the club doesn't sniff around that a little bit more. I thought that, that would make some, some level yeah. of sense. Fairly early on, though, the noise came out, and I remember sending it to you at the time, uh, and this would have been last summer, where the Liverpool journalists were like, absolutely not, we've got no interest in Tielemans. So they must see something involved in the player where they're like, yeah, that's that's not for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess that the last season, if you do have doubts about him, probably doesn't help, does no. it? Probably has sort of raised some question marks, so... So, it's hard to question the club's transfer policy too much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll we'll see this year. I think they made some big decisions in terms of if they don't go for a midfielder and if they have gone for this striker, there's that's two big big decisions that are going to define not just the if, next season for the club, the next couple. If you can stay in it, at least you have shown in the last window and even with uh, Van Dijk etc., you have shown that you are willing to do business in January if it means getting what you want. Yeah, it's true. True, I, I don't. You don't want to be relying on that, but it's not. You get to January and you're like, okay, uh, we don't do business in January, so we're, we're waiting. Yeah, it would, it would also depend, wouldn't it, though, in the terms of like when we have done it, it tends to be that this has been forecast and for whatever reason it couldn't get done in the summer or that it has happened yeah. now. Whereas we've never really done one as a reactionary thing. The, the most was that we accelerated the Luis Diaz one really yeah. rather than wait until the summer. But if you look at, say, season before last with obviously our defensive crisis we still a club like City would go right we're going to go drop 50 million on a centre half here and we'll think about the fact that this is going to cause a problem down the line later because we they need did it on Diaz just because you got Van Dijk <laughs> whereas we decided we'll get Ben Davis in just as a body so it's yeah. sort of, because we knew well Van Dijk would be back Gomez Matty we don't really want a big money centre half alongside because we don't know and maybe they knew Clamati was going to be coming in the summer but a club like City goes right no we're dealing in here, here and now Whereas Liverpool do still have that handbrake a little bit where I think they'll go, right, we're not going to do anything too silly. Which I think is probably where some fans' frustration spills over. And they say, oh, why aren't we signing a midfielder? You probably have to wait, lads. Well, on Saturday afternoon, Man United Chief Executive Richard Arnold received a phone call at his family home. He was essentially told there was more than a dozen United fans that had organised a meet-up to protest outside of his house. Which is fucking crazy, by the way. Yeah. Nobody seems to look. Oh yeah, they're just gonna go stand outside his house. That's fucking mad. They phoned in a bomb threat to Harry Maguire's house and got off yeah, fairly was... lightly because the bloke had been shot on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they call themselves the 1958. They say they're taking action. I've got some more things they've done a bit later on. Arnold is essentially Ed Woodward's replacement. He decided, yeah. do I let them come to my house or do I march down there and kind of face them head on? Fair play to him. He decided to go ahead and meet them at the pub before sitting down for a conversation that he requested wasn't recorded, but ultimately it was. Before we even get into the the content of what was discussed, I thought this was just a horrible look from those United fans involved. Whenever you see someone getting kind of sneakily filmed... Oh, it just always looks awful on the person that's doing it. Well, especially when he's voluntarily done this. It's, it'd be a different story if some guy, I don't know, we've seen stuff like this where someone's maybe spouting stuff they shouldn't have in a public environment or something. And, for, well, 
it's a bit snidey, but someone's got it on camera. We can verify this guy's yeah. a prick. This guy is literally voluntarily. He couldn't be kind of more reasonable considering. I mean, he probably could have just phoned the police on these people, really, if he wanted to yeah. do that. And so he's been as reasonable as can. And they've asked for communication and transparency. You will never get a finer example of it. A club of that size for someone like him to be doing that. It's kind of crazy. And as people have pointed out online, they've basically spoiled that whole thing. They're never going to get yeah. anything like that again. Well, they they think that they've done the right thing and they're patting themselves on the back and all of this. Yeah, I thought it was a horrible look. Um, mm. He bought the I don't think he got the reaction which... they thought it was going to either. No, no. I think people thought that they're, they're performing a sting on him. And then instead, everyone was like, I feel kind of bad for this guy, actually. Yeah, because for all that's said about our ownership, our previous managers, I would think that's like, They've done it at the ground, fair enough. And even when they did it at the ground, they kind of took it one step further than everyone else did. And when that doesn't work, going to the bloke's house, who has nothing to do with... I think he indicates in there, do you think the Glazers are going to fucking listen to me if I say sell the club? Or what What do you think we're going to achieve <laughs> to doing this? Um, they asked him numerous things about transfers, sponsorships, etc., he said, we spent a billion pounds on players. We've spent more than anyone in Europe. I'm not thrilled where we are, right? It doesn't sit easy. I worry. We have to get this sorted for the future. But what's happened is we fucking burned through cash. You can't go to our trading ground and say, by the way, show me where that billion pounds is here. I don't think we've done well with the money we've spent historically. Now, they seem to think they were going to get out of this guy. Yep, Frankie de Jong, done deal. You, we just have we're just keeping that from you. He doesn't say too much that isn't already known, but just hearing it from him, I guess, is something for their fans. We know the Man United are having a back and forth over the Frankie de Jong sale. They're disagreeing about the price. Barcelona want more than eighty million for the midfielder. United believe that's excessive, and they're trying to negotiate them down. So they're in a tricky situation here, where Barcelona are in a horrible financial situation. They've just got some kind of deal in place, which gives them a bit more time. But for a club that skint have their transfer targets, there's Lewandowski, Bernardo Silva, Rafinha, and I'm sure there's more, uh, and uh, Kunde as well. They need to get someone out of the door. What we've and seen is... they made is, it pretty clear it's going to be Dior. <laughs> they've proved like, you got to go. Dembele earlier, there's a lot out there about his attitude and I kind of take it with a pinch of salt whenever this happens with any Barcelona player because they started spreading things about PK they started spreading things about Jordi Alba they started mm. spreading things about Busquets and for as scummy as some of those players are I mean PK recent uh, issues aside we've never really heard anything bad about those guys off the pitch so to suddenly no. be doing it now when the club wants to save money if you gave out those contracts they're trying to get rid of Umtiti after they just extended his deal just so they could register someone else. Perhaps taking out an uh, £80 million loan to get Ferran Torres from the same bloke they're, they're trusting to sort their financial future out. What they've done is they just basically pushed everything down the line and said, well, worry about that in a bit. It, it's a mental club. It's an absolutely insane club that's... They're toad of toad hall, where they're flat broke, but they want to drive around in this yeah. sports car or whatever. You're like, you can't afford this. What What do you mean? I, we all want Lewandowski, but you can't afford it. You don't have any money. No. And 
they're just going to keep keep doing it and hope the sort of the problem resolves itself with things like the Spotify deal or whatever, which yeah. I'm sure will all help. But look, that's that's a black hole of money over the last few years. In the negotiating room now, it probably doesn't go over well when you have just heard the director of football say the money is there if the direct if the, if the manager wants it this summer. Money is not a consideration in who we want. It's if the manager wants him, that they've actually done the work on looking if he's a great player. Is it 100 million? Is it 200 million? We don't have a budget. That's so probably... Are you saying Barca is saying that? That's what, that's what he told the United fans on Saturday. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's United, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing to be saying. It's... Well, they, the players asked him, well, what's going on there? Who are we buying? And he said, do you want me buying the players? Does that not ring a bell with you? I don't, yeah, I don't I know anything it. about these. And that's supposed to be him kind of pointing at Ed Woodward, who did take a big thing in picking the players that would be bought and where the budget would be allocated. So they do seem to be learning some lessons, but it wouldn't be United if they didn't kind of fall on their face while doing so. He basically said that if Ten Hag concludes that De Jong is so important to the rebuild that he thinks it's worth spending 80 million on the 25 year old. Then they'll pay the 80 million. They just wouldn't be doing their job. He's on holiday for another two weeks. Isn't expected back at Barca trade until the 7th of July, I think. So they're basically pointing out us speeding the deal up now. Isn't really doing anything. Like he's still going to be away. No one else is in for him. It's just whether someone else does come in for him. <laughs> Yeah, I guess they, they might benefit from I don't know if anyone else no. is going to cough up huge money like that. Um, he's also said that the two people that were leaking to the press have now left. We think one of those was Lingard. A lot of people assumed the other one was Pogba. When Do you think Pogba would speak to the press that much? Because he seemed to have a horrible relationship with them as it was. So I can't see him feeding information to the same people. Uh... The only question with Pogba, I could absolutely see it. The only question with Pogba is, I can imagine him kind of being outed as the leak. Or he's Has just he been like, around, so, was he around long enough to be able to know what's going on? I think I think so. The I only it was Lee Grant. <laughs> that would be spectacular if this guy of, of no <laughs> consequence was actually... Sat in there like a Randall from uh, Recess, just taking notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely believe it, but I just wonder if it might have become a little bit more obvious. And, yeah. Because certainly when Raiola was about as well, wasn't exactly shy in saying what how they felt, what their camp was feeling. Yeah. So I wonder if it was... Uh, let's face well, it, Lingard more and more... Was coming out through his brother. More and more leaks came out around the time Ronaldo signed. So look, you can put two, yeah. two and two together <laughs> yeah. if you want. It's, and sometimes it can be quite simple. He constantly leaks. Um, Ronaldo's looking for a move away because United can't satisfy his demands. And then his team says, no, he's not looking for a move away. Do not possibly think my client is trying to get out of this sinking ship. Yeah. Because he's not like that. He's a winner. Simultaneously just boosting his own profile with the fans whilst actually going, look, I want to get out of this. Never seen anything like that, by the way, because the guy is wanting to ditch a sinking ship, but his stock actually goes up with him going, well, this is the winner he is. Why would you want to hang around here? <laughs> yeah, that, that is a hell of a deal, isn't it? If he does go, like, well, look, we couldn't satisfy him. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. One of the other things that he spoke about is that 
when United do constantly want all of this investment, it's not within their best interest to try and scare off any sponsor that's attached to the club. So TeamViewer, when they took over as a United Sleeve sponsor, this group that met up with uh, their director of football led a charge online to ask people to basically review spam the company. And they would leave reviews in like the names of Paul Pogba and be like, disgraceful service, avoid. And so 86% of the reviews that came after they took over as United sponsor were negative. And they would say things like, uh, this company has no morals. They feel no shame in contributing to the downfall of something that was once so beautiful. Oh, God. Just horrendous, horrendous. Like, <laughs> what do they think is going to happen? And what is the point- upside of doing this? Yeah, he's pointed out, well, the sponsors aren't going away. And if you do want new owners to come in, you do have to kind of present the club as something that would be something fun to take over. People don't want to take over something and think, well, the second I get something wrong, look how vile this bunch are. Yeah. Because for all that was said about Arsenal fans, I don't remember there being anything like this that we're having from United fans now. Because, (laughs) and I'm seeing it from a different perspective, but a lot of the thing with us was we'd move to a new stadium, we weren't spending money, and it was always the money. United are spending more money than anyone, and they're complaining that they lose to Norwich on a Sunday because the Glazers take a tenner out on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah, that is that is the issue, isn't it? And it's I've said it before, and it, it's always easier to attack the board than to attack a manager or a player yeah. who you may have some level of attachment to. Uh, I, I don't think their criticism is totally without merit, but I think it's massively overplayed. And again, if they were being successful, wouldn't be being talked about. The other thing is, whoever comes in would have to spend a fucking outrageous sum of money just to buy the club. Yeah. And so you've got a very small number of people who can do it anyway. I dare say the purchase of Chelsea has probably only actually made it even harder to sell United because they were over, they overspent to buy Chelsea. So what would you then have to spend to sign to uh, to buy Man United? Very difficult. You encouraging very... the Glazers to go into Ukraine? Speed <laughs> <laughs> things up. So Jack uh, retweeted a a brand of article again the other day. Yeah, that's commitment to the course. <laughs> uh, I, I was interested. What do you make of United's movement so far? Because the Nunes one, um, I've kind of asked you the question. I'm going to answer it, and then I'll ask you. <laughs> nice. My whole thing with them is, I feel like there's so much this window being dedicated to the optics of their situation, in that all the stuff come out is like we're not entering a bidding war. We aren't doing the old United things. And just constantly saying this, when the easier way to avoid a bidding war was to bid before Liverpool got there then. If both were insisting we're not having a bidding war, just leave it alone. And we're very early in the window, but it just seems they've put all their eggs in one basket and everything else is kind of slow around it just for the sake of looking like, look, we've learned from our mistakes. I, I just don't know what's going on there. No, I mean, in terms of the Nunes one, it is very much, uh, I didn't I didn't get dumped, I dumped her, actually, which, that's not strictly true, is it? She was off with someone else, and you just snugly said, no, I wasn't interested anyway. So that isn't, uh, in that case, the, the other thing is, with United, you are right, but that has kind of been their thing for the last few years, has been, yeah. it's all about the optics, not what's actually going on. If they stop focusing on how they were being perceived, and started focusing on actually doing the business, then they'll... They'll deal with it. I don't think I think City are cautious about how they're perceived. I don't think Liverpool do too much in terms of I think 
whatever business is right for them, they'll do. I don't think they're a well-run club. But I don't think they're, I want to look like a well-run club. They just are. It's not about looking about sort of the, how you sell it. And you're not, they're just so constantly sort of like, we don't want to be seen as a club that overspends. So we're just not going to buy anyone. Well, that's not going to do it because you do still need to buy people. Well, yeah, because does this feel like a shortcut move for you? Because if you compare United summer, I think everyone expected they were going to kind of try and do like what Arsenal did last year, where you're going to, not go for the best player on the market and you're going to sign three, four, five extra ones and yeah. then next year you can add some more on. Arsenal last year, they weren't worrying about spending 80 million on one player. In fact, by this point, I think we'd mentioned about Buendia and things started to speed up and we were in for like two, three, four players at a time. And this was during an international tournament going on. If anything, De Jong is the one you put on the back burner and everything else goes alongside it. You should be looking at, okay, who's the centre-back we're going to get? Who's the midfielder we're going to get? Who's the striker we're going to get? And it seems like they're just still so entwined with we have to have the best thing out there. And it's just going to come back and bite them. Yeah, because it's good. it goes one of two ways. Either they pull out of this deal and then you say, well, why did you waste all this time? Or they get through with it and you'd be like, well, this guy basically had to be dragged here. You spent a huge load of money. And we, you know, you still got other players you still need to get. So, De Jong without an extra three or four, I don't think changes anything. No, exactly. That's that's the big thing, isn't it? If this was just sort of the last piece of the jigsaw, you'd think, well, I can see why you'd agonise over it. But this should probably be sort of the first piece. And I think that's probably where the fans have probably got some issues where it's they don't see any movement elsewhere. It seems to be. Well, I've always had this confusion with clubs. Why do they only seem to be able to do one deal at a time? It's like you are massive organisations. You should be having numerous people out doing deals all at the same time. It shouldn't be hard. But regardless, in the case of United, it appears that everything is being held up by this, and nothing else is going on elsewhere. And that's probably where the concerns them. Now, in fairness to the club, maybe they've got three or four deals in the pipeline, and we're all going to look silly because they're going to pull them off, and you're going to go. Well, see, we were working in the background. We have no evidence to suggest. No, if I tell you this, I've um, I speak to Connor in like a separate chat most days about the transfers and all things that go on. We both have a similar level of love and hate for everything transfer related, and essentially putting it in this separate chat means that I mean people that I'm sure you can assume from various chats that that we're in or you're not in. It avoids those kind of side conversations that you can't, really can't be dealing with on a Tuesday afternoon. You don't want to be laughed at. Give me five minutes. Just let me have a moment. <laughs> now, he at the start of the summer was sending me these things, and he was under the assumption: look, my sources are telling me the Nunes deal is basically done, the Timber deal is basically done. It's basically start of June. They're all just going to be reeled off. We've got everything oh. in place. Oh God, this poor guy. Now, the Nunes one obviously set some alarm bells ringing mm-hmm. and it's gradually gone where he's seen different players linked. I mean, we had a conversation about Trossard the other week. Um, he Good sent man. me, and I think this would have been Friday, maybe. He messaged me and he was like, oh, I'm seeing that United are interested in Vitinha at Porto. Maybe that's right. why uh, they weren't in for such and such at Porto as well. He must have put his phone down, and about 20 minutes later, I saw the Fabrizio notification pop up. Luis Campos, first bit of business at PSG. He really likes uh, Vitinha. Personal terms are believed to have been agreed. And then about 20 minutes later, it said, "Here we go. Fee agreed. Vitinha. He's on. He's on the way. To, he's on the way to PSG." And he I just got a message back saying, "For fuck's sake." <laughs> 
So we see, going through it. Next time you're pulling your arrow, I just think, well, look, I could be doing what he's doing. Every every so often, I'll get a quite positive message. Like, you know what? I think the the De Jong deal is going to get done. I do think it's going to get done. And then, like, six hours later, I'll get, I'm starting to doubt the De Jong deal, you know. You know? <laughs> I don't feel good about this De Jong deal. And I've got to tell you, that is the magic around this time of year, honestly. It's yeah. watching people get that bit of hope and then watching it get dashed. Well, we've so had a mad day of some- it. Sometimes has been to Arsenal, often has been to Man United now. It's great fun. Just start to perk up a little bit and it's smashed again. I was going to ask your thoughts on this, and I think I know the answer. Do you have any issue with Louis van Gaal actively telling people, do not go to Manchester United? Well, I was going to speak about it so much. Apart from the fact that one is very funny. (laughs) People are like, so they're going, well, he's told him he can't be a squad player at Man United, but yet he keeps picking Ake. Well, yeah, it's almost like being a squad player at City is very different to being a squad player at Man United, isn't it, really? (laughs) There's probably a slightly different grade on which you're you're ranking this. Like, Conor Mastafield, he was like, he just hates us. He just really hates us. And I know why, but come on, he doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to be doing this. I, and even I don't. he's buying into it and he's best we can't promise him this what we can't promise him the game time I said, if, we've, if what we believe about Varane Maguire Bailly and Lindelof you probably shouldn't be spending 40 million on him if he's not going to play in that back yeah. four what do you mean you can't promise him the game time <laughs> what, what are you bringing him in for I don't understand unbelievable now, what about this past season that you just watched made you think this guy we're going to buy for 40 million but I was like, he's going to have to earn his way in because these lads have done it the hard way they they may show us up here and just everything over the line late and they get these amazing deals but until then it is fantastic to see fantastic yeah look they will sign one or two big signings they get, I think they do get they're excited on. again and get other fans a little bit nervous again but the last few years that hasn't worked about we're going to see Basically, a Ten Hag can coach or not, I think, is probably going to miss it. Yeah, well, yeah it comes down to. Like, wait till you see Rashford and Fred under Ten Hag. Wait till you see Fred under Ten Hag. This is going to be... When he's struggling to convince players that he literally managed, there might be an issue there. It, his words should mean more than Van Hal's. Yeah, that I do think that is a concern for them. Players aren't exactly just going right, this guy was magic before, I'm going to go back to him. That, that's concerning. Well, if we go on to Arsenal, because this, this does directly link. Now, David Ornstein dropped his first RKO out of nowhere last Friday when he said that Arsenal had a bid rejected for Lisandro Martinez. A couple of questions with this. First of all, if we talk about whether it makes sense after, how bad of a look would it be for United if they do have interest in him and he picks going to Arsenal over United and if you're an Arsenal fan should you be concerned that seemingly Ten Hag was going for Timber before he was going for Martinez when he's just managed a pair of them for a season uh, I guess that, that should be a bit of a concern but from, from everything we've seen, I don't know that you go in that Timber's uh, some massive like uh, sort of upgrade on him. Martinez got their player of the season. I think most people would probably prefer Martinez over him. So maybe that's just you know 
even Ten Hag thought Timber would be more likely to be able to get over the line potentially than Martinez, whether that was a thing, because I think most people would have, would have chosen Martinez out of the two of them. Whether this is needed for Arsenal, I think is probably the best question in this. It would, it would be a bad look. Obviously, it would be a bad look for Man United if, if he ends up well, choosing supposedly they're in for Arsenal. him now as well. And that is, essentially, they didn't want to get they don't want to get into a bit of war for financial reason, but also because they don't want to miss out on someone else. And they knew, with all due respect, if they get in with Liverpool at the minute, it's probably yeah. not going to go well for them. It's going they to just look got even, money, haven't they? And their whole they thing is, we aren't paying money. If they didn't fancy the image of what it'd be like getting uh, having Liverpool chosen over them, they're definitely not going to like it with Arsenal. No. No. In this article that The Athletic did drop, they say Arsenal's purchase of Fabio Vieira is a significant pointer to the business they intend for this summer because a player of his profile and positioning was not necessarily a priority. This suggests unless they completely change their thinking, which is not typical of Arteta, the Portuguese youngster was simply too good of a prospect to pass up. Signing him does not necessarily mean Arsenal will stop chasing other targets or that Vieira's arrival replaces others in their sights such as Rafinha, Gabriel Jesus, or Lisandro Martinez. Rather, they are keen to press on. The plan, ideally, is to recruit them all. Which one do you want to talk about first? The Vieira one, which kind of came out of nowhere? Yeah, yeah, why not? Okay, so this was really, as much as me, Connor, whoever else, like the day-to-day of the transfer window. Like, I like seeing the rumour pop up and giving it, is there is that credible? And then when it is credible, you see it gradually pick up steam. I think you're using the word like fast and loose. I don't know if you yeah. like it. No, you Endure no. it for large periods. Well, it's all worth the kind of the moments like these. About 2.30 yeah. last Tuesday or Wednesday, the news popped up from a Portuguese source Fabio Vieira to Arsenal is done. It's being concluded with Porto. The player will fly to London this evening. Now, you have to rely on these other people that tell you whether it's a tier one, two, three. This is a reliable guy. This guy is is nothing. I mean, Jose Enrique tried getting involved in it last week, announcing the Gabriel Jesus deal himself, which was very interesting. That man is getting active. Yeah, I've had to block him on Twitter. He's doing my head in. Um... <laughs> But this Fabio Vieira won 35 million, five-year deal, just out of nowhere. And it's the best kind of thing in a transfer window, really, when you do just get these out-of-nowhere deals. The Nicola Pepe one was similar. And, I mean, I imagine you've seen others. I mean, the, even the newness to Liverpool seemed to pick up pretty quickly out of nowhere. But, you know what I mean? The ones. The ultimate phrase was the Fabinho one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We hadn't even been linked. United had been for basically the summer. And, oh, we'll have it. And essentially, deals like this are why you can still tune in on deadline day because every so often there is a deal just nobody knows about. Danny Ings to Villa. Yeah, 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 true. Remember when we signed Matty Ryan and Arsenal just announced the deal and it was like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) So slightly less significant. Yeah, but just the ones that just nobody knows about. They say Vieira's played multiple positions in his career and can also operate as a second striker or wide player. He's regarded by Arsenal primarily as an option as a number 10 or number 8, and they're expecting him to need some time to adapt after moving from Portuguese football. Now, after watching a couple of compilations of him, he does look like the second coming of Bernardo Silva. Maybe better than him already, if I just go by the clips. (laughs) He's had really one season in top flight football, but 
he does look like a very exciting player. Hmm. Yeah, he, the bits I've seen of him, he does look excited. But again, I do question if he's your most urgent priority. But as you said, if he's just that good, maybe you've just shelved everything all, else. All of what the journalists are saying is that this essentially isn't coming off the transfer budget. This was a okay. This guy's available. Treat let's, get this, let's get this one wrapped up quick, and then we'll see what else we can deal with. On paper, I think when you say that he can cover Erdegaard, he can cover Saka, it makes sense because mm. that does seem to be a theme in what Arteta is trying to build. In where you've got Ben White that can play centre back and right back, Tommy Asu that can do the opposite. You look at this Lissandro Martinez, and I think the appeal of him is that he's played left left back and left centre back. Ben White, they've played in midfield before. Martinez has played over 30 games in defensive midfield. There seems to be a thing of Gabriel Jesus we're linked with can play wide and up top and so on. The issue is how much they're planning to rely on him. Because if it is over a midfielder, which we'll mention in a moment, then I have concerns there because Mm. I don't want the middle of the park put in the hands of a 22-year-old in his first season in English football. That feels like the kind of move we should have made last season, if that was the case, where there's a bit more leniency. Because I don't feel like Arteta has much leniency this this season coming up. No. The... You... Go on. I was going to say, you don't. I don't know whether he thinks he, he does. <laughs> From... no, yeah. He might think he can go scot-free. Yeah, I would. that is probably my... The question mark I've got over this signing is that if it does end up being that you don't get a midfielder in, I wouldn't want to have to trust him doing no. this. Cause, well, it's not fair. It wouldn't be fair to you, really. That's what happened with Lekonga last season and Gwen yeah. Doozy the season, uh, seasons prior to that. And with them, at least, that's seemingly their natural position, even if they're not ready for yeah. it at this point. With him, you're basically asking him to sort of shift a little bit, even if he can do multiple jobs. Yeah, he's played one game as an eight, really. Other than that, he's been more of a 10. Now, I do think in certain systems that can be pretty much the same. And if anything, you get more scope to kind of play your game. Like Erdegaard has been far more effective for us as an eight than he has a 10. And he's never really played there previously. He's always played further forwards. Mm. Um, it just feels like that would be a lot to put on his shoulders. Now, the Europa League is is going to be where you can prove if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And that's where it could be an advantage this season. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see what else we have to do because a lot of Arsenal fans just focused on that one paragraph that says, look, this isn't a case of one of these. It's We want to get all of these done. With Martinez, there's been an offer believed to be around £25 million that was rejected already. He's keen to join that makes a lot more sense when I kind of take a step back in that Tierney's injury record is what it is. I said earlier, 56% of games he's played for Arsenal since he was available. He plays 64% of available games at Celtic. That's not a case of if he gets injured this season. That's a case of when he gets injured. And the club clearly don't look at Tavares and say, we can do enough work with you this summer that we're going to trust you to do the business when Tierney goes down. That would have been seen as a position to prioritise, wouldn't it? So, Yeah, and they seemingly aren't looking at right back. So Cedric's got another year in him. Left back oh, is going right. to be the one they're uh, going to take a look at. So I, again, I've not seen much more of him than I still like watching the Europa League on Thursday night football. Um, 
five foot nine could be something that you would look at. Everything you read says that isn't an issue for him previously. Very good with the ball at his feet. Scout report says he has that dog in him, South American. There's as much about the characters they're trying to sign at Arsenal, I think. I don't know if you'd agree when you look at even just Ramsdale, who people would love him or hate him. The whole thing they go back to was they looked at how he reacted after conceding a goal or making a mistake and how he spoke to the team. And Arteta took him to the side and said, look, I need you to go in now and shake things up a bit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, agreed. Agreed regarding the characters. I also think what you're aiming to do is help in the terms of if you're able to get most of these done, the depth is going to be much better, which obviously you're going to need if you're going to improve anyway, but certainly with yeah. Europa League football. The, the only small problem is if you are right to say about these players being able to play multiple positions, but if you do find yourself in a spot where Martin is having to fill in at left back, someone else having to fill in in midfield. Yeah, yeah. You're not quite square pegs and round holes, but it isn't far off. No. And you're not going to be functioning quite as well as, as you could be. But at the same time, I haven't heard you link with anyone of these players where I think I can't understand why. I can see the logic yeah. behind most of them. It seems like, again, they're going for experience, again, the, the multifaceted side of it. And it's just been more encouraging with the links this time around. And whether we get one, two, three of them, I think we probably, I would have said maybe two of the four in that thing. If if they do want Martinez as much as they say they do, then probably him and Jesus, I'd, I may be made to look a fool there, like Connor with Nunes. That feels to me like it will get done. Um, but the, at the end of the article, it said, uh, where was it? Um, Arsenal clearly needs to generate some funds from outgoings and will welcome the money that could be raised from selling a cluster of first-team players. Uh, it's a difficult balancing act. Spending without recouping first is a gamble, but at the same time, they do not want to miss their top targets and are very aware of the dangers of waiting until the end of the window to complete too many deals. The lessons of last season are fresh. Two more interesting things from the article. There was a lot in there while not saying a lot more than the bid had been made. Um, Rafinha, does that feel like a weird move to you? Is it you going for him? There was news that broke today that claimed this was going to be done by the end of the week. Now, some of that was Barca sources, who I still think that is his first choice. But as mentioned earlier, they're in a bit more of a precarious situation where they're promising him, look, these are the terms, but we just have to come up with the 50 million to sign you. And I don't think he's at the top of that list if they do get 50 million through the door tomorrow. No, no. Deco, who, which is very cool that, do you know that's his agent? As in ex-Barcelona Deco. See, I saw the name Deco attached to it. I didn't really consider that that was going to yes, be. Yes, it's I the same about, guy. This is going to be lazy if I say it is. Oh, fair enough. So you've got Deco and Edu in a room. Now, he's been in London today having a meeting and they're trying to get this over the line. We've reportedly offered 50 million and they want closer to 65, 70 euros. At 50 million, it feels like, okay, I can see the deal. The closer it gets to 75 is where I start to feel a bit uneasy. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with you on that. Mainly because it, unless you can see it, who would you think 
is going to be shifted because it feels yeah, like that, because be Saka's played on the on the left previously, it feels like they're just going to shift him and expect him to be as effective on the right. Because people keep saying, well, squad depth, squad depth. You're not paying 50 plus million on a guy to be squad depth. No, no, exactly that. I'm, I would just look at it as well. Likes of him, Odegaard, this Vieira, from what I've seen of him in those clips, they all play with an element of, I want some freedom. So you're not really going to play all of those at the same time. Certainly, it does like a structure if you want to say anything else yeah. about it. I, I just wonder if, more for signing creative players, I just wonder if you'd be going a bit overboard on that. And particularly, again, if you said to me, what's your priority going to the summer? Obviously a striker and a central midfielder. Yeah, yeah. You'd, have basically, you'd, <laughs> you'd have spent all this money without actually having resolved any of that just yet. It, um, it, it's, it's very, very confusing because... Clearly, if you're spending that much money, everything we've seen so far means they have a plan of what they're going to do with him. That's something where, whether the, the transfers have all been as successful as they perhaps first seemed, you could at least see what they were trying to do and they were immediately coming in and they knew, okay, you're going here, this is the formation we're going to play. Um, the Rafinha one is just a bit more curious to me because it may be a bad message to Saka when you're trying to get him to sign a new deal to go, look, we're a big fan of yours, but we want to shift you over to the left. Mm. And Rafinha can't hide away from it. I've been critical of previously. Went full uh, after watching Donny Brasco calling him a fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like there to be more goals on his record when yeah, I'm seeing that. And I don't know. I feel like you're buying character here again because if I was to put and this is going to age badly, I'm sure. If I was to be the guy putting the stats on for FIFA or Football Manager or whatever, I don't think Pepe and Rafinha, if I was strictly doing the numbers for each of them, would look too differently. Oh, God. <laughs> the thing I for think... Pepe is character. Like, this guy <laughs> is just... And I'm not doing this to downplay Rafinha or big up Pepe. Pepe will go down as arguably top three worst transfer this club's ever had. I just mean with Rafinha, you're very much buying that get up and go. Like, give me the ball. I'm going at you, which is something that we have missed. So I think it's very clear there. And it just does seem like we're looking more at players who are going to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And if you are going in terms of... uh, size and that attack would be not very small but there wouldn't be the focal point that you're going to have next season the city are going to have next season so you're going to have to kind of balance that with something else and it's going to have to be the kind of drive and determination the doggedness if it's not we're going to punt this up to you and you catch it on your head and hold the ball up for yeah. us yeah i've sometimes watched Rafinha and wished he'd be a bit more direct as well sometimes sometimes i think he can wander and the other thing with him is we kind of we see how good he is at these and see how good he can be at times and I guess the premise is well we can get those good times out of him more often we're a better team yeah. and we're going to take it to another level and this will be the result and in truth with a player like him half the time that can happen another half this is just him this is just what he does he'll give you the occasional moment and the rest of the time it'll be a little bit anonymous and he can be exposed a little bit worse at a bigger club. So, mm. for that sum of money, that would be a big risk to take. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot with Arteta. You know, there was this theory that Klopp basically just bought players that had played well against you. Never and more that, the case with this Nunes boy. No. That theory has gone rife now. Now, Rafinha feels very much like that. And that there is the sense with our defence, even when the numbers were up there with the best in the league last season, there never seemed to be a moment where teams didn't feel they could get at us. And there was a, a collective sigh of relief when we played them at the Emirates towards the end of the season when he went off because he was picking up the ball and they were having, I think they had about 16% of the ball in the first half once they'd gone down to 10 men. Yet still, every time he got the ball, he had that kind of sick maximin factor yeah, where yeah. anytime he runs at you, you do just shit yourself. Like, what the hell are we going to do here? I mean, if I, we take... Everything we say out of the equation, he's a fun player. Yeah, he is yeah, great he is, fun yeah. to watch. So you could quite easily get excited about it. It may just be that he's Brazilian. When you look at the players we're linked with, he's like South American players, they're just building this contingent here. Eddie's just gone. Well, look, I'm not going to do any more work than I need to. No. I, I know Deco. We're yet to see what buying attackers is like for Arteta. He's bought one attacking player since he came to Arsenal. If you don't count Erdegaard in that, who's been playing deeper, and that's William. He's not spent any money on a striker or a winger or anything. No. So he's formed his defence next from next season, at least when everyone's fit. And I think you could see when people are fit, you could say, okay, that's Arteta's defence. We can judge that. We've not been able to really judge his attack, so to speak. So this is going to be a big one for him and we'll see what his uh, talent acquisition is like. But Yeah, we, have, we haven't seen him with his side. I don't, with all your, I don't think we've seen much of his coaching either. I don't think you watch Arsenal and think, the some of the attacking players being right, he's coached us into. I think some of it is look, these are good quality players who are going to produce these months of quality as well. I think every now and again you see it where you sort of see like that is, I can see that that is the goal Arsenal would have created on the training ground. I could name but you a few. It's very moments. hard to do that. It's hard to do that all the time. Do you know what I mean? It's kind yeah, of yeah. I would I say think that's where the top coaches really come into their own. And that's where we're going to see if Arteta is a good coach or a great coach, I guess. Yeah, I'd say the game, the goal against Southampton where it goes, it, Ramsdale almost gets tackled at the back and they pass it. Every defender touches oh, it. It goes down the wing. That was unbelievable, yeah. And the one at Stamford Bridge where <laughs> Xhaka again nutmegs someone on the edge of the box and it's just front to back, one touch. And then Smith Rowe hits that beautiful one where he yeah. just catches it first time and goes right in the corner. So I think you see moments, but I do understand what you mean. I think if Arteta was to say, here's an example of how I want my team to play, it it feels like a joke at this point, but it probably would be that first half against Man City on New Year's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was the best example of everything that he wanted to do. It was uh, There was the intensity, there was uh, the drive, it was first touch, There was it was clinical. And he would argue he's doing that without a striker. This so, is it, isn't it? Is it? Is the question, look, I've got everything in place. I just need a bit more quality up front and then we'll start scoring goals and that'll fix it. Or is it that that's kind of, he's using that as a way of hiding that, look, actually, I can yeah. kind of get this amount out of the team. But in terms of the, the goal scoring side of it, I'm always going to fall a little bit short, but that's it. I only say this because only really the top coaches have really shown themselves able to do it. It's been yeah. one of the biggest factors in Mourinho's fall is that when you watch like Spurs under him, you're like, he's obviously doing no work with Kane. Yeah. He's obviously leaving them to do their own advice. I'm not saying Arteta doesn't do any work, of course, 
but it's where the, the I guess the best separate themselves from the rest. Uh, when you look at all the rumours, it, it looks like that's an easy 200 million spend there. Yeah, so comfortably. Whether they can then look and say, look, we didn't spend the money in January because we knew we'd rather wait and get these guys. Mm. Fair play. It could be interesting come the end of the summer if they can say, well, look, we tried for these players. It could be that these are very carefully leaked pieces of information. But so far, just before we move on, the, the Tielemans one is the weirdest one. Because we In heard for the past three, four months, this is the number one target for the central midfield. This is the guy who's going to go straight in. He's going to play in that left-sided eight position that Granite Jack has been playing. He's not been playing it badly, but he doesn't have the requisite uh, skill set to play in that role for Arteta. Tielemans is going to be the straight plug in there. He's got Premier League experience. The price is right. And then in the space of four days, it's now been Arsenal's interest has called in Tielemans. That could be one where if Granite Xhaka leaves then Tielemans comes in. When the argument has been, well, we need these bodies in midfield. It's mm. not that Tielemans comes in, we get rid of Xhaka. I worry um, how much you could manage Xhaka as a second option, but that's down to Arteta as well. Yeah, it, but it's, I guess numerous things. It's not like the Tielemans one, if the fees we're talking about to be believed, would be like, well, look, if he's come in, we've got to move someone because it's huge money. It's not like that. You've also got a situation where Xhaka got a new deal last year and probably had the best year of his Arsenal career, in truth. And so, as we said before, I think there's nothing wrong with Xhaka if he's your backup midfielder, but I just don't know how much he can be a backup midfielder because no. his personality doesn't seem like he's going he's gonna to go, not in this squad, certainly. So I question that whole... And yeah, like you said, that it did feel... There was some almost inevitability about Silliman's, I thought, not so long ago. Yeah, I, I was and the fact convinced. The show's gone cold leads me to think either clubs just aren't convinced by him or something's going on behind the scenes that's making these clubs a little bit wary. On a podcast I listened to today, they seem to suggest Arsenal are for one, it's not so much the fee, it's the wages. And okay. Tielemans would probably be on a similar wage to what Xhaka's on. And right. it's in terms of just keeping that on a level because they've been burned before by having a high wage bill and they've done this work to get it down. Yeah. On the other side, it's similar to what United may be feeling with Frankie, where it's like, well, no one else is in for this guy, so we can always come back to this in a couple of months. And if no one's picked him up and we've still got a bit of cash left over at the end of the window, then maybe we'll do it. But it, so it's, it's just strange. It's just strange that things really have shifted that quickly. But sometimes Arteta is like that. His opinion on El Nenny seemed to change in the space of about three games. So, yeah, and it's, it's not necessarily just so much his opinion shifts either. It seems to be so fully, yeah, so, so fully not believing and then fully believing them, which is because quite odd. My thinking would be that if Party gets injured, and history again suggests that that's likely, Xhaka yep. would be someone that I would trust in that position more than I would trust El Nenny or more than I would trust Lukonga. And you're going to have these guys in front of him. You'd need a slight tweak in terms of how you play out from the back. Because at the moment, it's you give it to Party because, I mean, they're nicknaming the octopus in Spain, just the way that he can shift between those guys. And suddenly, you're up the other end of the field. There's certainly changes you can make. Some point out that maybe Arteta made his mind upon Rafinha when Pepe was running through in an open goal against Leeds and cut back. And that was the moment where he was like, you know what? 
I've had enough of this guy. <laughs> Spend whatever you've got to on someone else. Just get this guy out of it. Because I asked you when we did a podcast uh, a fortnight ago what Arsenal would need to do to mark themselves as odds-on again for the top four. I feel like we've had the Jesus conversation already, so we don't need to go over that too much again. Yeah. Does Vieira, Jesus, Rafinha, Martinez... Is that, sh- is that shift in your opinion, or is that non-mover? The lack of that se- central midfielder does does concern me still. Concerns um, me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... I, I just I would consider that your biggest priority along with the striker. And it's as long as obviously Spurs are being linked with players as well is the basically the thing here. I've, I've basically yeah. got the two of you. I'm about to talk about I, I assume Chelsea aren't just going to let this thing slide. I assume I don't know, but so you assume they're going to be active as well. That's yeah. from a transfer point of view. It is interesting that Arsenal, United, Spurs, and Chelsea essentially all do still have work to do. So that's going to be fun. As it stands. That I would be positive on Arsenal with those signings. I think I potentially, if they signed that and Spurs didn't do anything else, which I don't see is going to happen. But if that oh. did happen, then I would have Arsenal. They want there, eight I players think. apparently. But I think, I think I think Spurs could do worse than Tillemans to be honest. I think. Yeah, yeah. Did, people did like just, him and Basuma in the middle. I think it's a big upgrade on what they've got. Did you see that guy? I forget his name. The South American reporter that was on Sky Sports talking about Jesus today. Tim Victory. Is that his name? But yeah. Talking about so. him as a striker. Yeah, yeah, that, that was him. Yeah. yeah. What did yeah, you make of that? Really. And that would that, if you were buying Jesus, would that put you off, or would it be that you obviously believe in the guy's potential? It's not. I assume Arsenal haven't learned anything new in that little interview. That, that's it. I thought he gave uh, interesting little bit of insight, but hopefully that isn't news to Arsenal. Hopefully, if you're no. watching, that's maybe news to you. But hopefully, the club knows all this. I would hope. I don't know because the responses are always very. Uh, extreme when it's Arsenal because any guy that wasn't prolific before he signs for Arsenal there's fans that say well Thierry Henry wasn't prolific so he signed for Arsenal and look how that turned out and it's like well not everyone we sign is going to be Thierry Henry how often everyone that, that happen, signs yeah. on the wing yeah but it may just be the right level of confidence in him you saw when he was playing with confidence at the end of the last season what he can do I think if we do sign him he's going to be a player that on certain days is going to be incredibly frustrating but is also going to score a lot of goals. And so it's not too different to a Bamiang in that regard. Just you'll have a younger version that hopefully you can mould and will work harder. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think you're probably right. If you can just minimise those inconsistent games, then then you've obviously got a top player. It's in a similar, in a totally different sort of context in terms of what they're being, in the way they're being brought in. But I think here, man, Nunes at Liverpool, if they can hit the ground running... Yeah, it's gonna um, look like worry. just unbelievable signings where their confidence is up. If they have five or six games where they maybe struggle a bit, then it might get on top of them a little bit. Yeah, the the last thing on Arsenal, and it's not even really an Arsenal thing. So Omar Rekic, who's a young centre back we've got, is Tunisian. He's just agreed a deal to go to Sparta Rotterdam. Now the terms of the loan deal have come out that Rotterdam will receive a financial penalty if he doesn't play in at least seventy five percent of the games that he's available for. I wondered what you thought of a deal like that and if that should be something that's allowed. I'm assuming that is subject to injury and suspension, etc. Yeah, so it's 75% of the games that he's available for. He's actually available. Uh, well, 
it probably shouldn't because you shouldn't really be able to dictate who a club can play. And if he's playing like crap, the club shouldn't be therefore obliged to play him. I think it creates a lot of problems. But as a club, I can see why you would try and do it. it if, as not, a club loaning someone out, I can see why you would want that. It's, it's believed to be around a million pounds is the penalty. For them, that's probably not insignificant. That's probably a no, decent bit of money. I don't know how much it works. I always did it on Football Manager where you can set the playing wage percentage and the non-playing wage percentage. And I would always have them paying more if he's not playing. And I don't know if the game even read that, if it kind of understood that or whatever. Hmm. But this feels just a bit more of a more straight-up version of it. I know Stoke were interested in him as well. And there was another team in Germany, I believe, and they both turned the deal down. And I think we've had some good luck, some good fortunes in loaning to Holland recently. So the fact they were willing to pay it. He's, he's not a scrub or anything. He's 20 years old and he's made his debut for Tunisia already. I think all it would take is a few of those deals for that to become the norm is the yeah. interesting thing. I think that could quite easily take off where big clubs basically take advantage of that. At, at Arsenal, ever since they did the loan of Nabry to West Brom under Pulis, yeah, yeah. Which just was horrible for everyone involved. Um, he was overweight when he was there. Pulis said that he's not as good as he thinks he is when probably shouldn't have signed him if that was the case. Um, and he comes back, year left on his deal and gets loaned and leaves for Werder Bremen, then goes to Bayern Munich and he's one of the best players in the world in his position. They've yeah, done a lot of work. They brought a yeah, new guy in. They make even like lower league clubs. They have to come in and do a kind of PowerPoint presentation of this is where this guy slots into our team Jesus. so they can really find the best way to do it. Um, some hits, some misses, and Ketia to Leeds was one that we didn't yet understand just quite the love affair between Bielsa and Bamford. Like He was still seen as a bit of a joke at that time, wasn't he? Where it was like, what well, if he can't put Bamford out of the team, then how good is this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And had some others since, like uh, we've had a couple to Germany, Reese Nelson out to Feyenoord, and just a couple of others where they're just building these contacts up. So if it works for us, it works. I think the big thing is, even if they don't come back to play for us, they're trying to get more value for these players when you can look at what Liverpool are doing. Liverpool have supposedly asked for £20 million for Nico Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, is that not the sort of, sort of like the vibe like you said with Arsenal with those five players? It's like the aim is to get all of them. It's like the aim is to get twenty million. Now we yeah, might yeah. not get twenty million for Nico but, Williams, but we're aiming for it. But you can justify that money more than you could last season because he's had a full season of games in the Championship. He's an established international footballer, and so it's just we need to have these guys in the window, even if they don't come back and play for us, or we get deals like the Mavropanos one where he goes for two million and so on. Yeah, yeah, I think you've you've got to do something to maximise your outgoings more than you have done yeah. over the years. So this is probably the way to go about it. Um, Tottenham Hotspur have signed Brighton and Hove Albion midfielder Eves Basuma for a fee in excess of £25 million. Becomes their third signing of the summer after the arrivals of Fraser Forster and Ivan Perisic. Now, Basuma was arrested under suspicion of sexual assault in Brighton last October. He was released under investigation and was permitted to travel to Cameroon to play in the African Cup of Nations in January. On paper, this looks like a good deal, but you've got to think the reasons just mentioned is why no other club was interested. It's an odd situation where 
Spurs have obviously taken this on. And you'd say, well, look, surely Spurs aren't going to do it. If there's any doubt over this, they're not going to do it. On the flip side, I think you'd also say, look, if Brighton were sure, they'd hold on to him. He'll be proven in the sort of way. Like a year left. Yeah, okay, maybe that's maybe that's more of it with them then. Yeah, I. And again, this is a criminal investigation. How much sort of as these clubs are powerful? How much sort of digging can they do? How much dirt can they get? How clear an idea of this thing can they get? Maybe Spurs he, have just saved. Been we'll, we'll three times already. Maybe Spurs has just gone. Well, look, we'll take the hit, which is a I know a pretty dark way of looking at it. You go. 25 million on someone who's potentially done something pretty awful. On the flip side of it, if they say, well, look, he's proven innocent, then you've signed a very, very good player yeah. for not a lot of money, and it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. I'm being cynical here, but it does feel like I think if any other club in the top six makes this move, it's getting a lot more attention. I think... If Arsenal sign him, if Liverpool sign him, if United sign him, the headline is Liverpool sign accused sexual offender Yves Basuma. Mm-hmm. And it, I think they're, and it's going to sound like sour grapes, I, I think they're so terrified of Conte leaving without having at least secured some silverware that this is a risk worth taking for them if further down the line it does turn out that he's done X, Y, Z. At this stage, yes. we, we don't know the, the finer details, but they believe enough that they're keeping him on a leash, like they're, they're not letting this go yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they will give Conte almost what he wants with, within reason. They've obviously got, got so much they can do, but they'll, if he says he wants it, they'll give it to him. So almost part of anything, so he doesn't have any excuses as to why he didn't win at Spurs. Uh, they wouldn't the let thing, Jose sign Perisic when he was two years younger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think probably the situation with Jose made probably Levy and, and Spurs a little bit more desperate when they're going, right, we'll, we'll give in to yeah. Conte then because we're, we're sick of probably hearing about not having won anything. The, the other thing with... The, 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 Spurs are just another example. Clubs will basically, if they think the guy is right, will shelve sort of morality for success. Now, I don't know whether he is, he commands enough sort of respect that you'd go, well, look, this guy's a bulletproof signing, so we'll take the risk on sort of a a questionable moral decision. Sorry? What are your thoughts on the signing? Because if I say it, it's going to sound like sour grapes. How good do you think he is? How much of a game changer is he? What do you think of the of the move? Well, this is part, I guess part of my feeling of it is I think he's really good, but I don't know that I would risk, I don't think he's good enough that you risk it, that you go, well, look, I know this guy has something hanging over him, but I don't want to risk it. So... There was a bit of a meltdown among Arsenal fans. Do you think that's justified? A meltdown in the sense that they were signing him or that... In that, yeah, were- that they were signing, it was like, why aren't we signing this guy? This is um, this is unbelievable. Well, the price involved. Yeah, it's a, it's a questionable thing, isn't it? Because you were linked with him for a little while, and I think the fans thought I well, the guy was bending signing. over and saying, "Please, please." He, he wanted. Was, he was move. doing it four weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, quite publicly, which you pointed out to me. I didn't realize, yeah. but that's pretty crazy. And as a result of that, 
the things you're pointing out about Basuma in this case aren't incorrect, but it does then look like, like you said, a little bit sour grapes. Get up, well, you wanted him. Now Spurs got him. Oh, God, I can't believe they're making this signing. What's wrong with that club? They don't have any moral fibre at all. So it does look a certain way if I was being cynical about it. I, I would genuinely, if we were signing him, I would be the same way I am now. And it looks bad. I would still be excited because of the player he is, but I wouldn't feel comfortable with us signing a player while this is hanging over their head. It, this is it. I, I think yeah. you'd have to feel conflicted, I think, at least. But again, if he gets end up Brown's innocent, then do you, is it all gone away? Is that as well fair enough then? Which technically is what it has to be. I think it has to be that he's proven innocent. I think charges dropped when it's been going on this long is never mm-hmm. a good look. Um, just the, that, other, the other tricky thing, one of the reasons it's probably not being highlighted as much is because we've got other ongoing investigations into other players yeah. with higher profile, yeah. which sounds fucking mad. But Spurs signing a Brighton player is not the same thing as some of the high-profile examples that we've got ongoing, which sounds fucking mental, but it's kind of under the radar by comparison. Do you you remember a Liverpool player, Taiwo Awanyi? Because he's just signed for Forest and Liverpool yeah. getting 10% of the 20 million fee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did. When I saw the rich get richer. I was like, I remember that name. I could, again, we, I think we just got rid of him as a kid, didn't we? So, uh, yeah. Oh, well. A couple million in the coffers. <laughs> um, yeah, the Basuma one is a bit touchy where there's only so much you can say about it. Or we can only go on what's kind of been put out there already. It, this is it. We can't, ultimately, we can't say the guy's guilty so don't sign him because we, there's so little out that we don't know so it's usually it's all on what the club and I guess if if the club have gone look assure us that you didn't do this they take it I know it sounds yeah, Sean Watson horrible. did that as well yeah but ultimately it's it's a little bit like a, a place I don't know I know people have worked at places where someone has ended up going down for yeah. a criminal offence but they assured their employer look I didn't do this and obviously the employer feels totally cheated because they've asked them out right I think Employee probably didn't cost twenty five million pounds, but obviously it's, <laughs> it's it's not the same line of work. But if you had a guy start out of your work last week and you googled his name and you saw that he was currently on bail for an alleged sex assault, sexual Very assault, difficult, isn't it? Very difficult. Was, no one, no employer is going to pick him up while that's going on. It, it's just insane. But let's There's move on. Enough mad things go on in football, though, don't they, with players? That it's, well, it's a totally different world. That. In, in lines of mad things happening in football, I was going to say from one thing to another, and then I don't want to do him dirty like that. Christian Eriksen. <laughs> it's been reported that the clubs that have shown the most interest in signing him and have put offers on the table are Brentford, Spurs, and Manchester United. It was reported last week that he would like to stay in London. Today, the reports are saying that's not the case. He's come out and said Champions League football is nice, but it's not a necessity for him. If I take out what you think is going to happen, if you were in his shoes, where would you join? I'd go to Spurs. You reckon? If I was in, I'd, I'd go to Spurs, I think, currently. I just think Man United's too much of a mess to walk into in his shoes at this point. I think you've got at least... Was Conte's here and a couple of years at Spurs, see what if we can, you know, you're going back to where you were before. 
I think there is something that I think there is they have a bit of a need for a player like him. I think he's useful. So where does I he play more I, minutes? I mean, are we including Brentford in this or because I'm assuming he plays every at, game at Brentford. United and Spurs? Uh I think he probably plays more at United. And he probably has they probably have to play him. But at the same time, I think a player like I calling him a luxury player is unfair. But he is a little bit, and I think Spurs have a better team that's going to be able to accommodate that than that Man United midfield. Oh, I mean, that's tough for him to have to go into. I feel Unless like once you've got out of Spurs records. once, you, you don't jump back into the fire. Yeah, and look, I've, I've said before, that as much as I know what he's been through is incredible, I mean, he did sulk his way out of the club. Which it is a little bit weird that he's circumstances have found him back there. Any sympathy that people have, this is like, I mean, you didn't watch Lost. I think like season four, they're off the island and they decide they've got to go back. And at that point, it's like, well, come on. <laughs> or the, the fourth prison break, you're like, yeah. well, hang on a second, yeah. you've got to stop getting caught here. And this is like, I don't want to hear in a year's time that he's out of fallout with Daniel Levy. He wants to leave the club and Levy won't accept anything less than 20 million for him. He's 30 years old now. This is probably going to be the last big move of his career. It'd be nice if he went back to Brentford, but I think Brentford were well aware of what they were signing up for when they did take him on. He hasn't ruled that out clearly. He was he went out for a meal and to talk with Thomas Frank at the start of last week, which is mental that we know these things, but <laughs> we do. I, I actually think United is, is the clear move for him. Yeah. I don't, we don't know what formation exactly Ten Hag is going to play, but I just feel like you've done the Spurs thing. Spurs are a far better run club than United at this moment, but as a footballer, when United come in for you, and it's not like Barca and Madrid are the other options, is that not one where you kick yourself in a year's time if you, if you don't give that a go? Yeah, potentially. and Particularly when expectation is at its lowest. Yeah. That's true. I just think almost any other summer I would have gone with you on that. I'd have probably agreed with you. I just think his age, we've all, no, no nice way of saying this, no, no. with some concerns over your health, you don't know how long your career is going to be, I imagine. Saying you don't risk that at United. I just, are you going to spend the next couple of years at United? They give a regular person a heart attack, let alone you. Um, no, that's nasty. Where do you think he does <laughs> end up? I think if Spurs but, do want him, if they're serious about it, I think he'll go back to Spurs. I just, I just think there'll be an odd sort of coming home sort of thing, which isn't accurate, isn't what happened, but I think no. that's how they'll play it. Uh, yeah, I just think there are, for the next couple of years, which is all Ericsson can presumably be looking at with his career, of, uh, once you get to 30, you can't go, right, I'm going to go for the surest path. I think I'd give it a go with Spurs rather than going into be part Try of the rebuild. Try and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Win a cup there rather than being part of the rebuild at United, where you know it'd be serious. I think he would be seen if they don't get more signings for the door as well. They'll quickly latch on any hope onto him, and if it doesn't work out, he's probably going to be the full guy. So yeah, him and him and Frankie. If you can get someone good in behind, is is a nice midfield. But it does sure. seem they they want to sign Frankie to be a six, which is still baffling me now. Um, he's come out literally in the last month and said he doesn't like playing there in the same way he likes playing for the Netherlands, but there we go. Um, Spurs 
on the outgoings, they're happy to let Bergwijn go. They're happy to let Davinson Sanchez go. They're happy to let Emerson Royale go because they think they'll get more money for him than Matt Doherty, which is a rough look for him. Region, Winks, Rodon, and Gill are all on the chopping block. Let's see. Oh. Gill there. <laughs> well, Region, he had Jamie Redknapp going out to bat for him, didn't he? As uh, a season ago. Well, it's a weird one. Well, basically, they've got Perisic in, so they're saying, "Why do we need Region?" Yeah, it's a bit weird. And th- th- he prefers Sessegnon as a backup. Sessegnon did start to show a bit in the last year, finally. So, can kind of get it. But there's a player in Reggion. Maybe they think they can recoup half these a bit of money for him as well. Whereas some of those, I'm not sure they're getting a lot of money for. No, and it, it does seem... Uh, and It's hard to speak about Spurs myself without it always sounding condescending. But it just feels like for every bad situation they've had, well, I have also seen us have the same up, thing. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say that I see with a lot of their fans online and I mute the best part of them that I can. There is a belief that, okay, if we want to get rid of a player, then we'll get rid of a player. And it isn't that simple. So when you see this list of seven, eight players that they're happy to sell, you probably sell two or three of those because Spurs aren't paying them off in the same way that we've been paying off. No, not many people and will, will they? Conte made pretty clear last year and something that could kind of blow up in his face He'd rather have a bloated squad than a thin one when we saw the opposite way with us and you can see the perks yeah. and the and the cons of both of them. So I think you could see some of those go. I think some of those stay, sorry, just to be hanging around on the off chance that they do need them. And when you don't have the Europa League or Conference League football, it's a lot harder to find those minutes unless you have a good League Cup run. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Because I don't, I don't think Bergwijn, Reggion, I don't think they're happy to, to sit around and play League Cup minutes. No, you're probably right. I mean, can you can you blood some of them in in a Champions League group game here or there, maybe? Uh, I know what you mean. It's, the Champions gonna... League groups aren't what they used to be when we would play Basel twice, Olympiacos. Like, you do actually have to take every game seriously now in the Champions League if you're not a Liverpool City Agreed. And with due respect to Spurs, you've just got back in it. Don't yeah, go rotating exactly. your squad the first time. But I just wondered if I'm not saying change the whole eleven, but you can put people in. Yeah. In games of that, or if you've got a Wednesday and a Saturday, maybe change it up on the Saturday. You know, if you've got a a softer yeah. game, if you will. So I wondered he's going to need a bigger squad than just a. He's not going to want just a a basic squad, a Fredbear squad. We know that about Conte anyway. And they basically, he's saying that when they quit on the Conference League last year. Yeah. So if they want to have a European run, he's definitely going to want a, a decent-sized squad. The other thing is, something we spoke about uh, weeks ago with Liverpool, is if you're not going to get a decent sum of money for some of these players, it's better just to have someone in there as a squad player. So they're not going to be a problem. Which I don't... I think some of them might... I think some, some of the names you mentioned there, I think some of them would be okay. Yeah. Then I think it's worth keeping them around if they're going to be your fourth or fifth choice in the position. I don't, I don't have a huge issue with that. They're asking for the 20 plus for Harry Winks. So it could be interesting to see how uh, Paratici is there. Just you want. Looks like that one is going to get over the line. Mm. Should, should you be worried when Neil Warnock has issues with your attitude? I imagine <laughs> he's dealt with far bigger characters before. Should that be a red flag to you? Because I said maybe in a different chat yesterday that it can go one of two ways. When you get the right manager, and I don't know anything more about Jed Spence to know if this is accurate. I'm literally just going on what's been said about him previously. Yeah. Um, 
the right manager can really get the best out of you where you just kind of focus that energy and then the application is just 10 times greater because they've just got that little bit about them. And Conte is certainly the type of guy that you could get that with. But if you've got an explosive personality and then you clash with Conte, that 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 could be a move that doesn't go to plan. I think it will go to plan just from the few games we've seen of him. He looks kind of what Conte would like in his wingbacks, but I don't know. Maybe I've got to cling to something like that. <laughs> yeah, the, the odd thing, obviously, kind of someone with uh, what a lot of people would deem an attitude problem has often ended up being fixed by someone like Warnock, actually. When you look at his career, yeah. the amount of players that have ended up being sort of having their best spell under him, maybe he's just the opposite. Got he got promoted and he added Warnock, and that was the first thing he did. That was odd, wasn't it? Which, But again, if, maybe that's just two big personalities and they clashed. Eventually, that's going to happen with some people. Yeah. Um, I think the bigger concern would probably be more that he played well in some of the cup games you saw and then some of the league games you saw when they were on TV or in the playoffs wasn't always as hot, which makes you wonder, was he just getting up for the big occasion and is he going to be a bit inconsistent? Which is okay for a young player, but Spurs are hoping he's going to come in and, and be, our, be our guy at right wing back under the Conte system. They are going to need a bit more consistency from him in his first year as a Prem player. That's a lot to ask for someone. Last question on Spurs. If you were a Spurs fan, God forbid, when <laughs> you've had this injection of funds into the club, we're talking 150 million plus, and it's been spoken about the kind of summer that you're going to have, the level of investment, at what point would you be concerned that you've spent the money on Bissouma, but the other ones have been a free in Perisic, a free in Fraser Forster, a free in Christian Eriksen, 10 million pounds-ish for Jed Spence? Would that concern you or does the level of player that you're talking about supersede that? Uh, if they're going to talk about having a big summer, they're still going to need another name or two in there for me. We aren't it. seeing the big names linked that when no, you say you're no. going to spend 150 million, 200 million, that I think some of them were maybe expecting. I don't think, none of those signings are that exciting to me. I think there's some good players there, but I don't know that. I think several I'm, of them do improve their starting lineup, which oh, ultimately oh. is all you can ask for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little bit like um, with your transfer window last year, for example. Yes. Not, I think the two teams are at different stages, but I said at the time, that, well, look, sometimes don't overthink it. Is it better than what you've got? Yeah. Then, okay, that's that's a signing. I would just say, if you've just got back in the Champions League, what they have, and you've got an opportunity here, I think you've got to take it. If you are going to get, if you are talking about having a big summer, get a couple more over the line, I would say, left, just to really cement your spot. Left centre-back is an area that they want to improve, and Bastoni, whether that one does happen because of the deals they're putting in place for uh, Lukaku, we'll get onto in a moment, and Dybala, they may have to sell one of their defenders. It does look like um, Milan Skriniar could be off to PSG. That seems to be one that they were prepared to pay for but not pay too much for. They were linked with um, Gvardiol, at Leipzig, but they're saying they won't spend anything more than the kind of 40 million-ish that they spent on Romero. Mm. There's only a certain level of quality that you're able to get for that much, unless you do buy an older player, which one of the worries with Conte and Jose before when you give that money is it's all very short-term thinking. And so maybe they do win a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup next year, but are they then paying the price for that a year later when Conte decides to leave so it'll be interesting to see what they do I think the money they do spend in the highest 
point will probably be a centre back, but it's what you can get on the market. Yeah, yeah, it's, and still, I'm still not entirely sold on the midfield. Even if Basuma is finds player and whatever, I think Basuma he goes somewhere to solve some of their problems. Yeah. But I think That's what they want. I'd want someone else in there for me. Yeah, if you're going to a Champions League campaign, I, I wouldn't feel happy about some of those players in there. Hey, look, they'll probably go get Tielemans now just to really punch me in the chops. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I would really like that signing for them. He every every negative point about him feels like everything Conte would despise, though. So, I've, yeah, yeah, I don't see that one happening. It's it's, it's whether they can convince Gabriel Jesus is the example here is whether they can convince a player like that to take a secondary role because of what you could potentially get at Spurs over a comfier position, whether it's at Arsenal United in Chelsea, something like that, where you're guaranteed the minutes. You essentially need to sell someone that you may have less guaranteed minutes, but what you're competing for is greater. And that's what they really need to try and work out. Yeah. I mean, I would assume they would, Stroke Hayes' ego a little bit and say, "Well, look, you can get Kudelski out of here, can't you? You, you know, yeah. you son and Kane—that's the dream, isn't it?" And I guess I think you could be sold on that if uh, with the right negotiator. Doesn't have Edu there, does he? <sighs> Edu, Edu did like the picture of his newborn uh, baby, so I think that's just about a here we go. Basically, a done deal. Yeah. Maybe he keeps having bits pop up while we're recording this about uh, the supposed. Uh, Rafinha deal. Um, you hope for our own Emery moment. That would be nice. On the, on the pod. bit on Chelsea then. So talks between Inter Milan and Chelsea have continued today as the Italian team attempt to re-sign Lukaku with an improved offer anticipated after their initial approach was turned down. It was said that it would get over the line if they offer 10 million loan fee plus all of the wages to be covered. We thought that might get over the line today and then they've tried to clear it with the Inter Milan owner who's gone, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> you want me to pay all of his wages? It wasn't our choice to put him on those massive wages. And there's a bit of a fallout here. So uh, we think this one does get done. Chelsea are asking for players in return, which don't really work in that instance where you can't negotiate a loan fee and kind of a swap deal like it does need to be done separately. Hmm. And Inter, I think, know that they hold all the cards here. And they say, well, don't worry about our players. We want one of yours. Let's worry about that after. Because they don't want to lose anything. Nico Barella, by the way, was linked with Liverpool earlier today. Whether you believe that one may pick up any steam. I thought it was Let's interesting. Yeah. It's quite um, out of nowhere. Yeah, it was um, that, like, Calcio Mercato paper over there that does uh, throw enough ah, at the wall and hope some of it sticks. But... At present, yeah, they say Chelsea wanting to bring people in return. So Chelsea will need a replacement. Do you think they go more down the mould of Havertz or Lukaku in the type of striker they bring in? Yeah, I do wonder if they've been scared off Lukaku's sort of uh, that mould now. Um, it kind of sticks to what they know with, with the Havertz mould a little bit more. But that's not easy to get. It's not. It worries me they get in Kunku. Yeah, I think of what's available on the market. 100 million. I, yeah, because if they are going to, I, I could see that for them. I could see it. I mean, when the whole thing was that they were going to sweep in and Nick Jesus, I, I kind of believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because it would just be very Chelsea. 
The other linked names are Jonathan David, who, well, I mean, both of our clubs have been linked with for a while. Obviously, yeah. neither club sees it as one they get over the line for about 30 million. And Evan Nilsson from Porto, I don't know if you've seen much of him. Apparently, United have had a 60 million bid rejected already. I did see that, but that is pretty much as much as I've seen of it by that. He's, really. had, he's had one season as a top as a starting striker really I think he got 20 I think got 14 non-penalty goals and about 21 22 goals across the season I think not terrible he's more of your Lukaku striker than your Nkunku he's he's smaller than Lukaku but he's got a bit more physicality about him interesting is there a chance that we know they're growing in confidence as to whether they can get a deal over the line for Raheem Sterling who's still only 27 somehow. Um, any chance they play him as a false nine like he did occasionally at City? Maybe. Maybe. But it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because if they were to say, right, Havertz, you're our main man, then they don't need to get a big money replacement for Lukaku. And I think but he just, can be that guy. Yeah, agreed. I think he was starting to show it at the end of the season when they end up winning the Champions League. Um, and he got nine goals last season, I think it was. And then they end up obviously getting Lukaku in and it sort of changes things a little bit. But for the optics and because Chelsea are Chelsea, it feels like they have to go big and get someone because Lukaku's going. Which and with a new owner, probably have to yeah, spread stuff a bit. they got to sort of set their stall out a little bit because the fans are terrified that the new owners won't cough up the money like Roman did. Supposedly Inter were willing to kind of do some negotiation in regards to a transfer and Chelsea's owner was like, no, hang on a minute. I feel I don't feel too great about just cutting our losses on a hundred million pound player. Let's reassess things in a year. Well, let's face it, they they want we'll get a small loan fee now. They can pay the wages. He can have a great year and we can justify yeah. <laughs> getting something even if they say, right, you've got to buy him for fifty mil next year. We've yeah. not lost as much money as we would do currently, where I don't know what someone's gonna pay for him because difficult though, isn't it? Because if, if you do sign for Serie A, you've got one hand on the trophy almost if you're a good team. Yeah. Because you go, well, he's going to bang in a certain amount of goals for us. So, difficult. If if I told you now to put money down as to whether Sterling at Chelsea is a hit or a miss, mm. which way do you lean? Oh. The money's not that bad they're talking about either, is it? Uh, I think I think the money that City are talking about is a lot different to the money that Chelsea are talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. If, if you look at the... I can't imagine the fee's going to be too different for Gabriel Jesus and Sterling because okay. from what we can tell, City aren't desperate to get either out of the door. Pep always says, doesn't he, look, if a player doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here. Have they I both think, only got a year left? They both only got a year left. I think when you look at something like Ferran Torres for 60 mil, mm. you maybe look at that and say, they aren't pushovers. Just because they don't need the money doesn't mean they're just going to bend over. Because I think the yeah. Jesus one would be done already if, if that was the case. Because they haven't been able to give Haaland the nine shirt yet because they won't take it off Jesus until he's gone. Very respectful. Um, so I, I think... Jesus may go for slightly more because we're more desperate than Chelsea are. <laughs> but no, I think I, Sterling I, goes for at least 40. Yeah. I, I would lean towards the miss. I think it will probably be in the grey area between, but I don't think 
I guess if you're going, if you have to choose between one or two, yeah. and it's not an emphatic hit, it's a miss, I guess. So, Their batch of wingers are horrible as well. Pulisic, mm-hmm. Hudson Adoy, Ziyech. Yeah. I guess, you know, even if you factor in Werner often plays in the wide position, you've got you've got a lot of inconsistent yeah, players well. <laughs> here. A lot of inconsistent players, which I, yeah, I, we said it on the pod a lot. If you take Sterling to a different team and he doesn't have some of the chances and creativity around it as it's city, does it start to look a little bit less pleasant? That'd be interesting. He'd also be about as clutch of a player as Chelsea have. Like he does show up often in big moments. I think there certainly would be a lot of responsibility on, on him, wouldn't there? He would be a sounds an odd thing to say, but quite a senior player. There is a thing that they say that Tuchel can't coach attackers. Yeah, and obviously there has been criticisms of them being a little bit boring. And they say there's no attacking player he's improved. Mm. So, very interesting. It, it, it's quite sickening, really, that City could actually end the summer with a profit in a summer where they're going to sign Haaland, <laughs> Cucurella and Phillips. Gabriel and Jesus. Al- and Alvarez. Yeah, Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus linked with Arsenal, Sterling linked with uh, Chelsea, Bernardo Silva being linked with Barcelona, Zinchenko being linked with Everton, as if that man's not going through enough. <laughs> it's, it's, quite yeah. horrible. It's, it's quite horrible. I've never really thought this with their moves before. Maybe it's because I haven't really cared about the players so much. The thought of Cucurella coming in and being a rotational fullback, it, it's, it's just a horrible thought. <laughs> really and I say that in like it's all brutal. seriousness like I've never looked at their players before at least when they've been signing them and looking and saying you are being stockpiled like I had the belief that Grealish was going to come in and they had this ready-made plan for him mm-hmm. and he was going to slot straight into the team with with Cucurella when you look at the trust he has in Kyle Walker and the trust that he has in uh, Cancelo now, unless he's still pissed off with Carl Walker for that red card in the Champions League, when I feel he probably <laughs> redeemed himself in the Madrid game, I just can't see that Cucurella comes in and gets enough minutes to justify it, um, not from his perspective, from our perspective, really, to just not look at it as quite a depressing signing. I feel the same with Calvin Phillips. I just don't have the same level of stock in him where I'm like, I want to tune in and see you play. Cucurella is a player that I do just like watching play. Even when it was against us, I had a certain level of appreciation. Like, this guy's actually very, very good. Yeah, a player that good, you want to see play every game, don't you? He cried after scoring against United, didn't he, uh, right at the end of the season? Yeah, I think between that and that, um, having that joke at the player awards, it seemed to to go through the fucking roof, didn't it? Yeah, you're right. I I maybe. I would have these feelings about City, <laughs> but but also I had, I had a genuine thing, which wasn't even the same sort of sentiment at the time around the Mares one. I was like, oh, this is a little bit. He's not really playing at this at this point in time. Like, He's not really playing, and he was the best player in the league not so long ago. Yeah, and, and then you see him out, when he does it. play. Yeah, yeah, it's, you think it's pretty incredible. And I guess Greenish could go in that same direction if not. So, and yeah. it'd definitely be the same with Cucurella, wouldn't it? Where you'd say, on on the face of it, you go, well, he's going to solve their left sided problem. Isn't he? They don't really have a left-sided problem because Cancelo plays there a lot and he's unbelievable. I'm, I'm literally saying this just because of David Luiz as well. Is there a thing where players with curly hair are just more fun to see play? Like, <laughs> is, is, there any, is there something in that? Like, if, if we were to do research? 
I think if he shaved it off, he'd be significantly less fun. So yeah, I think that probably does answer it. Like, can we put Fellaini in that bracket? Because there was whole thing with his hair. Gwen Doozy, I don't think many people enjoyed seeing him play. So maybe he brings the side <laughs> down there. But there's definitely something in that. For sure, definitely. Last thing on football. Are you surprised there's been no credible links for Ishmael Asai yet? Yeah. Yeah, very surprised, actually. He was linked with you for a while, wasn't he? It was kind of a... Quite a while. Up cheap. Yeah, for the longest time. Um, Maybe Spurs have a look at him, you know. Feels a feels an odd thing to say. But I'm surprised a few of their sort of attacking players haven't been ready a little bit more. I think you question a little bit, did some of them quit? But at the same time, I think players like Saar and Dennis and uh, yeah, even like Yao Pedro, is he still there? He, they, can... They're saying, because I think it was Everton were linked with him to replace Richarlison, and they basically are of the thinking that if they give him a year of starting football in the Championship, his value is going to be higher than it would be if they were selling him now. Yeah, but that's the thing they did with Ishmael and They've ended yeah. up two years later in the same spot, so... I just wonder. I saw Saar getting linked with like West Ham. I think that'd be a great move for all concerned. Yeah. I think. I think that's perfect. Yeah, the other one that that's got was spoken about being linked to some pretty decent clubs was Nathan Collins at Burnley. Mm-hmm. Left-footed centre back, Irish international. There was the thinking that some a lot of clubs could look at him as just quite a useful pickup, but I've not really seen anything there. Ishmael Asar is the one. Maybe he's going to be the Sander Burge of this year, where it's like, where's he going to go? All right, actually, nowhere. (laughs) Sander Burge. The stock people invested in He was linked with us, wasn't he? Big time. Yeah. I I, I never quite got it, but I was more than happy to get on board with the the Sander Burge hype. But I didn't didn't understand why. I thought he was just like some sort of cult figure or something. I've never seen seen anything to indicate why people are so high on this guy. You're not prepared to like shit on like Watford attackers like you were the Norwich defence, which did age well. Well, this is the thing. When I said, I feel kind of rough saying this when I've had a whole thing of why would you sign, why are people so keen to sign these defenders who have been relegated? Why are you going to sign these attacking players who have gone down? But they do look like they've got something in there. If you can... Maybe coach them right, but it's well, Max Aaron's. I've not seen any links for him. Yeah, exactly. That did that went down quite significantly. Poor guy, very interesting. Yeah, let's see how we go there. Um, he probably just would have been what Sergio Dest has become at Barca, where I don't think they even let they wouldn't even let him move to Bayern, which feels incredibly harsh. (laughs) They learned a lesson on that one. Yeah, now just to switch sports, I saw you. Either retweet or like one yesterday that said oh, Baturbiev has got that 2012-16 Gennady Golovkin said a fuck away from me energy. You punched yes. you in the soul. Now we saw him knock out Joe Smith Jr. in two rounds. I got a I watched the whole UFC card, which if you didn't watch that on Saturday, by the way, I could I would genuinely recommend watching that card front to back. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Jeez. You've got spinning knockouts in there, you've got uh come from behind knockouts you've just got barn burners you've just got some freak incidents on there it was i maybe it's a selling point for anyone that knows me like i didn't i wasn't playing football manager while watching the ufc or anything i was just (laughs) first hangover in about two years properly like that just sat tuned in watching the whole ufc 
great oh, nice. card start to finish uh, although I didn't disagree with the I didn't agree with the winner of the main event um, I then thought okay I'll try and get spoiler free the Perturbia fight and I'll YouTube it because I know Scar always put it up the day after and they literally say brutal brutal finish Perturbiev <laughs> stops Smith Jr. in two and it's like what is the point do that maybe a f- couple of days after, not the yeah. day later. The following morning, no. Yeah, I didn't see you tweet that he had the spoilers. Out. Yeah, I was well irritated in that. Now, I'm no boxing trainer, if you weren't aware. <laughs> I have to think running headfirst at Baturbia <laughs> is about as bad of a game plan as I could come up with. Yeah, you're not a boxing trainer, but you do also have like human common sense that running into a train is a bad idea. So, because, similar sort of vibe. Because even, it wasn't like he got tagged and then he did it. He seemed to, from the start of the fight, be like, well, let's get this over with. If it's going to be bad, <laughs> let's just do it now. It's difficult, isn't it? Because this is where it is incumbent upon him and the trainer to come up with a new, a more nuanced game plan than what we're going to say here. Because, in fairness, I don't think he was going to go in and box him off the back foot either. So it's not like he gave up that option. But there has to be some sort of in between where you go, don't just run headfirst into him because I but the thing is, I think a lot of fighters look at that, say like that Callum Johnson fight, and take something from it where you're like, Okay, he put him down at one point, but the rest of it was just him getting brutalized. Yeah. yeah. So is that what you want to happen to you? It's 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 very, very strange. And if that wasn't terrifying enough. The moment the press officer tells him after the fight that Anthony Yard has called him slow. Have you seen that clip? Yes. Yeah. Him just going, okay, okay, I'm slow. Cool. <laughs> that would keep me up at night. I don't think I'd sleep until the fight's over with. That's a scary man. It isn't. I don't My difference between him and Golovkin is they both clearly like they have the power when you comes to the stoppages. I felt like when I would see Golovkin, I almost felt every punch in there that he was throwing. Mm-hmm. With Baturbiev, they almost don't look like they're thrown with the same power. No. But the guys are still going down from like clearly he does hit very hard. That is the scary thing with him is that he doesn't look like he winds the punches up at all. No, they just I don't... stand the punches. And it's kind of you know when they do that thing of uh they did it famously with the I think it was Canelo Kirkham, wasn't it, when they made it. So he was just, yeah. he was invisible. Yeah. And they were just watching this guy get beaten up. It's kind of like that with Serbia. It's kind of like this guy's just getting beaten up. You don't really see these big punches coming in, but you're just seeing a guy wilt in front of you. Yeah, I don't think he looks as good aesthetically in terms of it being slick or web- in terms of it just no, being no. the beatdown that it is. But it was only when I saw the replay that I saw the extent of the two uppercuts that he lands almost back to back on Joe Smith Jr., and he is genuinely picking the punches. I think he can almost look a bit raggedy in there sometimes, but it's because he was being smothered. And then you see it back on the replay, and he's just so calm. The Callum Johnson being knocked down, maybe the best thing that could have happened, where it's like, well, I, I can take that now. So if you're going to do that, I'll bat my chin in here, and I'll bat my to find yours first. And that is it. People do, whether it's just off that, I know he's obviously had... Uh, a deep amateur career as well. But whether they look at things and they go, I think he does have a bit of a suspect chin. And you're like, 
Okay, that's interesting. Whereas by contrast, someone like Golovkin, you're like, oh god, he's he's got an iron chin. He's not going to get cleaned out here. So you've got just enough that someone like Yard is going to go. Well, I'm going to back myself to to be the guy that catches him. I'm not entirely sure I believe that, <laughs> but if enough people do, then I guess you can how you can kind of sell the fight that way. How does a win over Alex Thoran and Lyndon Arthur set you up for another WBO title shot? It's so <laughs> stupid. I, I remember when Callum Johnson got the shot against Joe Smith Jr. that thankfully he didn't get. I was so wound up by that because I hate it when these guys, when the, the tactic of basically just fighting these nobodies until the WBO just say, yeah, go on then. I hate mm. it when that pays off because it encourages other people to do it after. Most and definitely. so I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't get to have that fight. Because if he'd won, it would have been a travesty that he gets to be a world champion. I don't care if he's a nice guy. <laughs> it's irritating because the more that happens, the more it encourages other people to do it. The one and this whole, attitude, admire, this, yeah. this whole attitude that you shouldn't take a risk until there's a world title. Yeah. Like, but that's not how it's supposed to be. supposed to take a risk to get there. The thing I admire with Yard, and he did the same with Kovalev, is that he does go out there for the fight before. He yeah, does genuinely agreed. say, I'm going in headfirst with this guy. And I like that he's selling it in the way where I do now want to see you get battered. <laughs> but I just don't see how you look at what Yard's done in his career and you look at what Baturpio's done in his career and you can make the case for Yard because even in recent times, he's not proven to be the one-punch guy that he was early in his career. He's been a guy that hits harder than perhaps the average at the weight. But I'm not going into a fight with him, Viterbia, thinking, and I probably should touch wood here. I'm not going in thinking you could slump him in one shot if he if you catch him wrong. Because I don't see him as that kind of guy anymore. And to be honest, I don't look see that Viterbia is going to let that happen. I think he's probably given him all the fuel that he needs now. That is true. Yeah, that that element of things probably is true. The the interest would be, I did like how Yard went into that after rematch. I thought, obviously, what was it? Fourth round, he ends up finishing him. Now, I know Petubius have different levels of Lyndon Arthur, but I like the intensity that Yard had in there. And I thought he used what he's got so much better than he had done previously in terms of... But he's basically like an athlete, isn't he? He's freakishly athletic in terms of quick and can, and can bang a bit. Like he said, maybe not quite as powerful as he first looked, but certainly can bang enough to hurt you. And I think that's probably all, that probably is enough to make the Baturbiev fight entertaining because he's going to go in and try and do that. And Baturbiev is Baturbiev. And as a result, you could have, a, a, for a few rounds at least, a bit of a slugging match. But Baturbiev showed he can do that. And he's got skills as well. As you said, I think sometimes it doesn't always look pretty, but when you look back at it, you go, Okay, this guy's got a high IQ as well. And I thought the, I, I always butcher his name, but the Zvodic fight. Yeah, yeah. The Ukrainian one who's also, that was just such a perfect fight for showing how good he is because yeah. I thought Zvodic <laughs> would be able to outbox him and get out of there. And he did at time, but Simeon also was working him out. I did his time, and, yeah. And it was a brutal finish, isn't it? When he does, once he gets him going, it's gone. So is- with that in mind, like you said, hard to make too much of a case for Yard. I don't know if I've just been turning a blind eye this whole time. Has he always fought under the Canadian flag, or was that new for this fight? Uh, for has it, his whole professional career, if it, not his whole professional career, early. Does he come out uh, with both flags? I'm sure I've seen him with a Russian flag before. Yeah, yeah, because he essentially just went over there. Um, 
Does he do the Amir Khan? Yeah, yeah. He trained with, with uh, what's his face, that trained Mark Ramsey, who trained... Uh, uh, I know he trained Curtis Stevens. That's maybe not the finest example you could My guy. <laughs> but he's trained a lot of those other, other guys out there. And I think he retired he's... recently. Yeah, yeah. And obviously... Uh, They've obviously got a fair amount of guys out there yeah. with like, say, like Jean Pascal and Lucien Beauty or whatever over there. So they've they've churned out a fair amount of fires. And I'm assuming. Trent Stevenson did he? I was just thinking of anyone Canadian if after the yeah. part of that. But yeah, I, I know he did it early in his career. So he's sort of a, one of those who is in Canada, but is yeah. obviously. I was just questioning Russian. if I'd seen him with a Russian flag before because I thought, have they have always seen that? I mean, I thought maybe it just suited ESPN better to put the Canadian flag there. I think that, yeah, I don't think they ever put the Canadian flag on his name like they did on that show, which, as you said, is probably telling of the times. Yeah. Um, well, I was just debating if we need a Russian flag or a Canadian flag if it, this fight is happening in uh, London. In, uh... I'll tell you what we'll, we'll do. We'll get Don King to promote it and we'll just make this uh, everyone against <laughs> Russia. Fight for freedom. Any worry about the turnaround? October, they say. Yeah. No, uh, I think that's pretty perfect all round, isn't it? A bit weird for Yard. He's not going to have fought for what ten months or so, is it? But they also year? were refusing to have him fight just in case he got injured because he could have fought on the uh, AJ White card, uh, uh, the Sherry White, White card, card yeah. and they refused to let him do it because they didn't want him to hurt his hand or something. Said at the time, didn't we? That not just getting a not a kind of a opponent but just a standard opponent in at that point even yeah. if you got injured you could recover in the time that you're going to take to get this yeah. fight so a little bit weird um just last thing before we call it a night so the nba finals have happened i'll defer to you largely on the subject as you did put yourself through every game how do you reflect Thanks. on that finals now it is it is depressing i can't lie it's depressing it's particularly as there's been obviously uh very much uh, sort of open top bus parade for the Warriors in terms of everything online has been how great this is, how great a dynasty this is. And I didn't particularly like them anyway because obviously I was hoping <laughs> LeBron used to be him back in the day. So the fact that they've now beaten the Celtics to it is just extra salt in the wound. Particularly, particularly as instead of a couple of games in, convinced myself the Celtics had him. So that was a tough one. If if Draymond wasn't part of the team, would it be any easier? Partly. I This is going to sound a bit odd. I kind of can accept it of Draymond slightly easier than of Stefan, of Clay, because I know what he's doing. I know what this guy is. Whereas Stefan Clay are sort of boy next door sort of guy <laughs> who are kind of acting a bit like Draymond, or just like 5% Draymond. It's like, that actually riles me a little bit more than the guy who's just a total troll. Steph doing the uh, hand signal for the zero after them doing it on first take. I said, look, when we messaged him, I was amazed at how the receipts they kept, how the much random things, yeah. <laughs> the random things they remembered and would just bring up at a press conference, like it was just appearing in their head, was insane. We should be glad they're all great at basketball because <laughs> these these people would be psychopaths doing all sorts of words. Well, Clay went at. Um... 
Jackson Jr., wasn't it? Where he yeah. said it had been irritating him so much. And he said, I saw that. And that pissed me off so much. And he's just been waiting. Yeah. And it was like saying about strength and numbers or something. It was like, yeah. I mean, of all the things, that doesn't seem the biggest thing you could say. And he was, yeah, like you said, he was furious. I feel like it, uh, from memory, I think it was like a catchphrase they used when they didn't have clay the yeah. year before. Yeah. And so he's kind of dogged them out. I think then they beat him when Clay was there, and then they had to he had to see that. When I don't think Clay needed to wait that long to see that he'd have the last laugh. I feel like he'd already had the last laugh before that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think he probably needed to win the whole. But I mean, if you can wait and win the whole, right, it's not bad, is it? And the way, the same way that MSG fired up uh, Trey Young last season. I do think uh, the Garden did a fairly good job of firing up the cells, uh, firing up the Warriors. Yeah, and in contrast, Saks weren't that great at home, which is a. I don't like some of the stuff that people are saying about possession about Tatum, about the team in general, about sort of that they sort of like shrink in these big moments. But it does become hard to argue for them that they can get a better game going on the road than they can at home, where the atmosphere. I don't know whether it just eats them up yeah. or what. But yeah, in, in the biggest moments, they fell short. And that's, the, that's probably what hurts the most because they've swept the Nets and they've been able to get over the hump in a game seven against the Bucks and the Heat. It's as tough a run as I've seen. It's a brutal run, isn't it? And whether they did look sort of, I thought Satan and Brown especially, in a literal sense, because they were playing almost every minute. So they were physically exhausted. But I thought they looked mentally and emotionally, like, they were kind of a bit spent. Tatum especially, I thought. The Warriors got multiple done in six, didn't they? Yeah, and look, that's where experience comes into play, isn't it? They've done all this before. Yeah. And it's... they looked like they were getting better as it went on, whereas mm. I don't think you can say the same about the Celtics, really. It, it's weird that I know what you just said there, the fact that it was against the Celtics, but we tend to quite enjoy it when the NBA players call out the pundits, like Durant and Stephen A's back and forth has always been quite entertaining. Yeah. I've always hated it when footballers did it to Carragher, Neville, or even like Savage. Like I remember when, <laughs> yeah. do you remember when John Terry just went at Robbie Savage? Yeah. Just and it was like, well, he hasn't said anything that unbelievable. And for us to say that a player because they haven't won the same amount can't have an opinion kind of eradicates all of our opinions as well. Although I did nearly tweet that to Jamie O'Hara when he was going at Eddie and Ketty earlier. Have some well, shame, you. The, the issue is. Players like O'Hara and Savage have the worst possible position where top players are allowed to say what they want. Your everyday person, everyone says, well, look, he's just sort of the layman, so he can say what he wants. Yeah. But if you're just a quite good player, everyone goes, well, you can't say that. Even <laughs> so, O'Hara is not even in Savage's bracket. What are you saying? Savage is better? Much better than Jamie O'Hara. I think O'Hara is a better player. Savage probably had a better career in terms of playing Ooh. top level for longer. I mean, if you watched, it sounds fucking terrible because it wouldn't be a fun compilation. <laughs> a compilation of the two. Jamie O'Hara is a better technical footballer than Robbie Savage. Savage, oh, Savage knew what he was and just did the dirty side of it and made a career out of it, which is the smart thing to do. Whereas O'Hara had a couple of years at best and then obviously shut out. I think if you look at O'Hara's best and Savage's best, I genuinely think they're streets apart. I think either you saw... Maybe I hate O'Hara that much. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe you saw either a better Robbie Savage I did. O'Hara wasn't 
a half decent player that spell at uh, Pompey and then back at Spurs briefly, and, but uh, obviously it all goes downhill quite sharp for him. Whereas Savage was just a steady, I'm gonna roll you and tackle. Sort of I thought I, I think of O'Hara for punching a 14 year old who gave him a fake handshake and getting dogged by Danny O'Lloyd is my main way of thinking about him and just being a twat on talk sport. Yeah, I think that's probably how most do perceive him, which is not unfair. He made a good living out of it now, just uh, absolute, absolute cretin. Um, the NBA, I messaged you earlier. Kyrie Irving is, as a lot of people saw, come in, hit an impasse, I think they described it as, with the Brooklyn Nets. So less than three years into this experiment, less than one full season, not even a full season, with Kyrie and KD seemingly calling it a day. Kyrie, two main options on the table being the Lakers and the Knicks. Um, the Lakers feels a wild one. Like, what sense does that make? Yeah. Him and, feels... him, having him and Anthony Davis in the same team. <laughs> well, look, I'm sure they'd love to do it because of how bleak things are for them at the minute, but I'm assuming any business the Lakers can do does rely on the fact they can get Russ out the door. And that's tough. I, I do think everything, every move the Lakers look to do is based on someone taking Westbrook, and that's not going to be easy. Still, as they you think. get him to MSG, and Stephen I, A said it um, like in the regular season. He was like, "For all the jokes that people make about this brother, you get him to the Garden, he'd be loved within a day. Like his style of basketball is literally tailor made. That's it. Or one of these teams. One my show, I need." try every night which is kind of you're not going to win you want someone who's going 100% each and night he's and he's available more than Kyrie like, and he, exactly depends but what yeah. you're having to give up for them because ultimately in it, the Knicks typically wouldn't see it this way or at least deal it this way the Lakers want to get rid of Westbrook more than the Knicks would want to take him in and I feel like it's going to be yeah. the same for Kyrie so if you can get a favourable deal and not one that looks like the Kemba Walker one who's still there by the way <laughs> Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't have given Julius Randle the contract of contracts because um, that really was contract year playing out. Then you can make an interesting deal because working through the draft, Knicks fans can say they're happy to wait. I don't know how much longer you wait. <laughs> particularly when they're they're being bad, but just not bad enough to actually do it properly. Like, Yeah, this is it, isn't it? Yeah. If they've been one... I mean, RJ Barrett has been better than a lot thought he would be after his first season but when you look at Jamarant it's like mm, yeah it's that's, been that's a bit different. the <laughs> issue isn't it yeah and I'd imagine how fun he would have been for them. the I think the concern you've got to be with Gary whoever you, is the whole thing that this has been based on was that, that he wanted to be in Brooklyn and basically said he won't play anywhere else and if you consider he's not been that keen on playing in the place he does want to be what's he going to be like if he ends up somewhere where he didn't want to be in the first place I'd it's such a huge risk with him. Yeah, and it's almost as close where he's still around the same environment as well. It's not like you're moving to the other side of the country. Yeah, that's it. If he goes to, obviously, the Knicks, he's going to have a pretty brutal case of main character syndrome. He's obviously going to be, I'm the main fucking guy here. Yeah. And that's not been shown to always end well. Like by contrast, obviously, if they were somehow, and I don't see how they're going to be able to manage it, I think they're just being linked because 
one, it's the brand of the Lakers, two, LeBron's there. But if they were somehow able to make that happen, I can see that you'd then have a situation where he'd be like, well, you could play for the Lakers. He feels like a sort of showtime sort of player. He'd probably want to emulate Kobe. So you can kind of maybe think that he will sacrifice for the team just for however long that would last. By contrast, I don't know how many other places you can say that about. If he got ended up, if Brooklyn ended up going, look, we're going to send you out anywhere. I, I think whoever's going to go is going to go, well, we don't want this guy because he's just such a risk. He's not going to want to be here. And part of the issue is that the clubs, the, the teams that will take him, they need him to do a sign and then trade. So he's got a player option that he needs to opt into first. Yeah, as a exactly. free agent, no one's going to pay the money he wants. No. I, I also did, no one's going to give him any longevity either. No. Like, well, look, I can't, I can't risk that. I don't think LeBron is taking any shit next year. So if Kyrie thinks he can perhaps cruise when he's there or that LeBron's going to put up with him in the same way that KD did, I don't think that's happening. I think you're about to see the most brutal LeBron as a teammate that you're going to have seen just missing the playoffs this year. I think he's going to put him into savage mode because he wants to prove that he can play at that level long enough to play alongside his son. So, And he has just still had like an unbelievable year yeah. for absolutely nothing. <laughs> like he's been one of the best players in the league for no consequence. It's outrageous. Yeah, and the fact that they did agree these deals means that they're now looking around and their hands are tied. So it's probably a mess that he has to work his way out of in the same way that he needs to work to get them in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting. Anything more to add before we uh, sign off? No, that's that's great. A, a small window that Celtics might have had to go a, a <laughs> win has just closed. Go back to the norm of the Bucks, or then probably getting back to the finals now. We could, yeah, fantastic. I feel I, fantastic about the whole thing. I am claiming quite well that I did have the Celtics losing in the finals. I feel quite pleased with that prediction. Yes. Not quite my Everton one, but no, no, that's not bad going there. No, I I did claim that whoever came out of the East, I thought Celtics or the Bucks would win the whole thing. So double whammy for me. <laughs> Next week, I believe my brother will be joining me and you to talk about Newcastle summer and what they have to expect there. So hopefully we get some interesting transfer news before then. And uh, it could be an up or down one, depending on what happens for either of us before then. So I'm sure we'll have a bit more to talk about as well. Arsenal make about half these signings and just hijack the pod. <laughs> Sorry, Harry, we've just got no Newcastle chat for you. Well, thank you to anyone that has tuned in this week. We will be back, as always. Tune in to Movie Madness this Friday. American History X versus Pulp Fiction. Goodbye. <laughs>